All right, we are back on the mania of WrestleMania. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And I am joined by my co-host, the man with all the knowledge, Perrin Von Awesome himself, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? I always get that warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling when I hear that WrestleMania theme music come on that was used in some of the glory years. But before we start the show, what I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out-of-shape podcast peons, keep the noise down while I stand up and show you the back of my jacket and reveal to you the sexiest man in the history of WrestleMania. Woo! <laughs> no, we don't get a hip wiggle? Uh, you get that last week. I don't want to spoil everybody. Okay. But well, let's I talk about who the show today is really about. <sighs> the creep the corrupt. Um, I don't do a good Randy Savage. So we are, this is going to be a long one. Um, Pat, uh, Chris Bailey was supposed to be here, but he, uh, unfortunately, we needed to switch recording days and then he was not able to do it today. But that's okay, because we have a lot to talk about. This is a two, two and a half year storyline. And I'm going to make a statement now. And I think by the end of it, I'll be proven correct. This was probably by the end, by the time WrestleMania 5 concludes, this is peak WWE until WrestleMania 17. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, this is a, a, like I said, a two and a half year story that was laid out in chapters. And we're going to go through all those chapters, chapter and verse. And it's probably one of the best stories they've ever told. I don't even like, you know, if 17 is sort of their re-peak, even going into that, I don't think any of the stories going into 17 are as good as the mega powers forming and exploding. Yeah. I, Conrad Thompson, when he first started doing his, uh, you know, podcast with Bruce Pritchard, always talked about it. his two favorite years of, of wrestling as a fan were 1997, which I think it's that for a lot of people who are mm -hmm. more modernized wrestling fans, but his other favorite year is 1989. And I think I kind of very much feel the same way about those two years. And we're going to talk mm -hmm. a lot about why 1989 was so cool and so good. Absolutely. But let's go back to 1987, WrestleMania 3. Hulk Hogan hoisted Andre the Giant high into the heavens, and he slammed him down and broke his... Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he slammed Andre the Giant and retained his WWE title. As Jesse Ventura tells us at the time, he barely was able to get his shoulder up before uh, Andre was able to pin him. They wrestled a few minutes more, and then he slammed him and won the title. From WrestleMania 3 to the Survivor Series, Pat, what was Hogan doing? Because when I watched, I, I re-watched the, the inaugural Survivor Series match between Hogan and Andre, and the big feature there was Team Hogan versus Team Andre, and it was the first time they had gotten back in the ring since WrestleMania. So we knew Andre wasn't doing much wrestling. What was Hogan doing? in that time hogan really at that point when he slammed andre and the entire eyes of the world were on him doing it really reaches his zenith as uh what hulkamania is and how big he gets in the pop culture sphere and is, is really at his highest drawing peak so they're putting him on house show loops and he's doing a lot of stuff as far as wrestling guys like killer khan uh kamala um guys who wouldn't normally be in like a tv main event spot or anything but Hulk is such a draw at the time that they can bring these guys in to make it kind of interesting and have him go around the loop with them from place to place. Mm -hmm. And that just shows you how big he was at the time where he can draw these 
sell out houses with not necessarily the biggest name opponents, not really a story driving it on TV. Um, he does occasional one-offs with guys who are bigger names, like the one-man gang will come in and Hulk will wrestle him, and they have you know that great Hogan big man chemistry. Uh, they introduced Ted DiBiase a little later in the year, trying to buy the world championship from him kind of around the time of Survivor Series, which we'll get to. Um, but Hulk is just really kind of riding the wave of momentum from WrestleMania 3. Uh, still on TV doing interviews and stuff like that, once in a while making an appearance, not really wrestling as such on TV, mm-hmm. um, but still the biggest star in pro wrestling by a mile and doing, just going out there and representing a company all over the country, having matches and winning and carrying the WWF banner. Up to this point, Randy Savage had been a heel, one of the bigger heels in the company. He was the Intercontinental Champion. He was the Workers' Champion. He was your your B-House Show Loop guy, and he loses the title to Ricky Steamboat. Now, by the time we get to Survivor Series, he sort of flipped to... They didn't have many tweeners at the time, and he isn't a full-blown heel or face, but they are definitely maneuvering him into a face spot by the time we get to WrestleMania 4, and the first stop is Survivor Series. But how did we get... How did Savage get from healing it up with Steamboat in WrestleMania 3 to being on the face team at Survivor Series? One of the things we talked about last time out is that even though Savage was a dastardly heel who tried to end Ricky Steamboat's career, Mm -hmm. the the guy was such a good performer, so colorful, that he was still getting a modicum of babyface reactions to the stuff he did. Now, on top of that, you have... Ricky Steamboat, who had just won the Intercontinental Championship and is going to ride this wave of momentum. He's going to be the number two guy. And instead, he has to take time off to be present for the birth of his son, Richie. And the company was like, well, we just put this belt on you. We we need you. You're carrying the B-houses here. We got to have you. And he had done a bunch of them with Savage. They do Houston. They do uh, a couple others. The Houston one being the big draw because they just opened up that territory. Um, But he asked for time off. And what they do is, well, we... You know, we're planning this big build with you and Savage to go further. We can't have you off the road unless, you know, we take the title off you. And Steamboat goes, oh, well, you know, I, I guess. And uh, they take the Intercontinental title off Steamboat, which he never really recovered that momentum again in his WWF attempts anyway. Mm-hmm. But they don't put it right back on Savage because they think maybe there's money to be drawn there later. They put it on that. Initially, they wanted to put it on Butch Reed, who no-shows the event he's supposed to get at that, which breaks Mark's heart to this day as a Butch Reed fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, at the suggestion of one Hulk Hogan, hey, why not him? Pointing to a guy in a jumpsuit with a ducktail slick back hair and a guitar named the Honky Tonk Man. And so begins the longest consecutive run as Intercontinental Champion in company history. But they need somebody as a foil to the Honky Tonk Man. And what they do is, even though Savage is present for his celebration upon winning the title, Honky Tonk starts talking about how he's the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. And Randy Savage, who to this point has had the longest concurrent reign as champion, takes a little bit of an issue with that. And not overly babyface, but the people hate Honky Tonk Man so much that, yeah, kick his ass, Randy. (laughs) So talk to me about the Survivor Series. It's the second pay-per-view event that WWE creates. And almost like any WWE pay-per-view they've created around this time, it was always to stick it to Crockett. So why were they just taking it to Crockett on this particular occasion? So Crockett had encroached a little bit on towns that were considered WWF towns. There's a little bit of negotiating and pushing and pulling back and forth in terms of who's buying what from who. There, this is really the hyperdrive of Crockett versus Vince where it's reaching its boiling point and doesn't go a lot longer. But it, it, 
this is a big point for it. And mm-hmm. Crockett's annual big show every year was Starcade. So they planned Starcade in Chicago, which the WWF had been running pretty regularly for big events. They ran the Wrestling Classic in Chicago, their first mm-hmm. ever pay-per-view. Part of WrestleMania 2 took place in Chicago. Uh, it's really very much more WWF center town. So they tried to run the USC Pavilion for Starcade. Vince says, okay, you want to do this? After the massive success of WrestleMania 3 on pay-per-view distribution through cable television, Vince says, hey, I got this new thing coming out called Survivor Series, and it's going to be on this day. Uh, We're going to do it at the Rosemont Horizon in nearby Illinois. And uh, here's the thing. If you don't carry this, you're not getting WrestleMania. And basically tells the cable distributors they have a choice. They can either carry Jim Crockett's NWA Starcade, or they can carry his Survivor Series and also get the ability to carry WrestleMania the next year, which has been bigger and bigger every year. So if you're a cable distributor, it's kind of not a hard decision to make which one you're going to carry. What was the choices if they had called his bluff and like, fine, fuck off? Some did. Uh, Starcade mm-hmm. did have limited distribution. Mm-hmm. And those ones who did still got to carry WrestleMania 4. <laughs> oh, Vince. All right. So that takes us to the actual event itself. And um, for time, we're not going to go too much into the entire event because really we're here to talk about the WrestleManias. But this is, you know, chapter one, basically, of how we got to four and five. So the first uh, match of note is Brutus Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, and Ricky Steamboat. And they take on uh, the team of Dangerous Danny Davis, Harley Race, Hercules, the Honky Tonk Man, and uh, Big Ron Bass. And they defeat them. And Now, keep th- in mind, less than a year ago, Savage tried to end Ricky Steamboat's career, and they're now right. on the same team. And that's why I, I, So, two things of note that. Um, it'd be interesting to go back and look at that and see how Savage and Steamboat were getting along. But two, this is your first incorporation of randy savage amongst the faces because i think people look back at wrestlemania 4 and they you know and it's like it's savage's big coming out party and to a large degree it is but he didn't just show up to that event as as a bad guy and walk out as a as a baby face there There was was a build there was a build and it and it it starts in earnest with him wrestling the honky-tonk man on the loop but in terms of television i think it starts here yeah I would agree with that. And by the way, one of the most overpowered Survivor Series teams you'll ever see, mm-hmm. Randy Savage, Jake Roberts, Ricky Steamboat, Jim Duggan, and Brutus Beefcake. Like, really? We couldn't share the wealth a little bit here, guys? <laughs> There's like four matches on that show, though, and this this was one of them. It was like this. There, there is. And, and uh, unfortunately, the heel team was not anywhere near on the same level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, I, when you're starting off with Dangerous Danny Davis – yeah, uh, you know, I, I love Herc, but, you know, not not mm-hmm. in the same kind of category as most of these guys. Harley Race, yeah. you know, passed his prime. And Ron Bass on the downside of his career. Honky Tonk. He's honky. God love Honky. I don't care how many people he buries. I loved Honky Tonk Man back in the day. I was a huge fan. I mean, I hated him. But, like, you were supposed we to We hated hate him for the right reasons. Correct. That is that is correct. And then your main event, and again, this was, this was the anchor. Hogan and Andre don't touch. Gosh, and, and just just a moment on that. These guys today touch each other every week, every show, every minute. There's no novelty at all. So after the 45th time you've seen John Cena versus Schmageggy, you know, it's like it, it kind of loses its luster, and then they wonder why they can't retain fans. Hogan and Andre didn't touch 
from April to November. They weren't even on screen together for the most part. And here they are, the big attraction, the rematch, and they're not even one-on-one. -on -one. They got four guys in front of each of them that they got to get through to get to each other. And so as a fan, you're like, what happens when Hogan and Andre get in that ring? What happens when somebody tags in Andre and somebody tags in Hogan and there's no choice, there's nowhere to go? That's the big draw of this Survivor Series. And so Hogan is flanked by... Um, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, my, one of my favorites, and Paul Orndorff, who... Paul Orndorff, I... He's so great in WrestleMania one, you know, and for for a while there, he's just really like this intense bodybuilder looking dude. He's such a great wrestler. By this point, he's trying so hard to be a character, and he kind of gets the "I'm confused all the time" look. <laughs> he's he's struggling, man. He he yeah. doesn't quite. I can see why he eventually was like, "The money is nice, but I I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this is not for me." Um, and Andre's all, team is very much a pro wrestler versus a sports entertainer. Very much so. It, it is never more obvious than in this match. Um, Andre the Giant, Butchery, King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, and Rick Rude. And as we are told by Gorilla Monsoon at the time, over one ton of humanity on that one team. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you take just Andre, you know, the gang, and Bundy. Mm -hmm. And Bundy's the small guy of those three. <laughs> <laughs> right. What does that happen? Yeah, that is that's a large group, man. And so, and and if you're like in kayfabe, you're like who, like you've got a bunch of muscly guys on one team, but you got a bunch of big fatties and Rick Rude on the other. And and Hogan was supposed to actually have superstar Billy Graham on his team uh, mm -hmm. before his uh, injuries just were too much for him to continue doing anything, so he got replaced by Don Morocco. Gotcha. That's but it would have been interesting to see Hogan and Superstar together in a match. It would have been. Um, though, I mean, I'm just as a Don Morocco fan, and, and because he's been such a loyalist of the company, I'm glad Don Morocco got this spot. Good yeah. for him. He got his payday that night. Um, Andre is the sole survivor. So, Andre, so, you know, in terms of getting one's heat back, this was good for him. And they book it smartly because Hogan actually gets counted out. Yeah. Dude, I didn't love that. Okay. Tell me why you didn't love it. Because, again, like the, the way it comes down, I feel like you could have pinned Hogan in this instance mm -hmm. and done it without damaging him. You're not taking the belt off of him. You're not – you know, it, it was essentially at one point, I believe, it was just him and Bam Bam against Gang, Bundy, and Andre mm -hmm. uh, when the match breaks down. So they're paddling some insane odds right there. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it hurts Hulk if Andre pins him. Um, they did a good – they actually really underscore Bam Bam a lot in this match, uh, fighting mm -hmm. the odds. But I, I think if Andre pins Hulk, Hulk, it really adds a little more intrigue. But he still takes a loss. You know, he, he's still protected in that. So I get it. But I, I think if Hogan got pinned, it would have really got people going, oh, he, well, he pinned him. You know, he mm -hmm. got him this time. There was no controversy. There's an and argument to be made. There's an argument to be made for wanting to keep Hulk's invincibility um, untarnished. Yes. But as we know, Hogan must pose. That's correct. All right. Uh, this leads to the following year in the main event. This is the, the inaugural main event. Now, we had talked about in the first two shows the um, addition of Saturday night's main event, which was once a month or so in the Saturday night live spot. This is in prime time. How did we end up with the main event? Uh, NBC, in you know, being partnered with Vince on so much and the relationship between him and Dick Ebersol, who is the president of NBC Sports, um, they kind of came up with this idea about, you know, we have this event that we need to really push into overdrive WrestleMania 4 to promote it because we don't have the novelty of the first ever Hogan-Andre meeting. 
Mm-hmm. But what we can do is we have this plan going into WrestleMania 4, and the way we can supplement it is by giving away a Hogan-Andre match on free TV that's going to plant the seeds for this event. And, Dick, you saw what it did when it had all this national media coverage that we never got everything. What if we put it in a primetime spot where you get even more eyes on it? And it worked. It was the most watched wrestling match in history. Um, did insane ratings. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Nielsen share was something like record-breaking at the time for a, a, a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you that my dad, who was obviously a big wrestling fan, was at work because my dad used to work a night job. And literally all the guys at the Daily News plant who were there working at the time stopped what they were doing and put on NBC to watch Hulk Hogan wrestle Andre the Giant. You're talking old grizzled men ranging from their <laughs> 30s to their 60s stopping what they're doing to watch this wrestling match. Sure. This was this was the one-on-one return match. And <laughs> so I, I think I told you this story, but on a recent edition of NXT – they brought up the million dollar belt and my wife's like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, well, you have to understand WrestleMania three. And I just went on from there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is the climax of the million dollar man story where he's trying to buy the belt. And so up to this point, Andre the Giant was a charge of Bobby Heenan. But at but this is where track switch and uh, Andre the Giant becomes aligned with the million dollar man and Virgil. And so what we have here is. A, ma- a match in prime time. This was joined by Randy Savage defeating the Honky Tonk Man um, by countout. So he doesn't get the Intercontinental Belt, but he does win the match. So they keep him strong for what's going to be coming up uh, next month at WrestleMania. They have ha- uh, Andre versus Hogan. And then and just uh, infamously, and it, it just bears bringing up just for a moment, the Rockers versus the Hart Foundation where the rope breaks. <laughs> Well, that, that's later on. Uh, <laughs> actually, the walkout bout to this uh, card was, mm-hmm. in fact, the Hart Foundation versus Strike Force, which you, you don't get to see the finish of because they run out of TV time. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. So wait, um, is is wait? Is, am I right though? Is this is this the the no Rock- the Rockers and uh, the Rockers and the Hearts is in October of uh, nineteen ninety. Okay. So the Rockers okay. are the Rockers are not yet in the well. They had been in the Federation and got fired already. They're not back yet for their real run. When is the Rockers Heart Foundation match where the rope breaks? That's October of 1990. Okay. And that's a different TV deal. That is a different TV match, yes. That okay. is a main event taping that featured the Ultimate Warrior against Ted DiBiase. This saying. is the you're right. This is my I got him confused. This is the one where Heart it's Heart Foundation versus Strike Force, and they just ran out of time. And they start playing Phil Collins Take Me Home as Rick Martell <laughs> is trying to execute a backward roll up on Bret Hart. I remember that as a kid going, wait, what happened here? Yeah, and we didn't know who won until next <laughs> right. week on Superstars that, when the Strike Force got the belts. Yeah, that was why it confused me. Okay, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so um thanks for straightening me out, Pat. All right. So right hogan versus andre um so this is the one where it doesn't go too long and um hogan's not able to slam andre this time andre uh no hogan actually kicks out of this but uh, but he gets but because it's the evil earl hebner which we don't know at the time uh, earl hebner counts three and andre the giant becomes champion at which point you know and teddy biasi and virgil are on the outside and they're mucking about the entire match um teddy biasi and virgil jump in the ring and they're all celebrating and Mean Gene goes to interview Andre the Giant. And Andre the Giant's like, I surrender the title to Mr. DiBiase. I surrender the tag team championship. Yes. I, I remember that. I was like, wait, no. no. <laughs> oh, poor Andre. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, you know, we had the brilliance of they utilized the twin Hebners for the first time ever where people yep. weren't aware that they were twins. And 
DiBiase paid to have a referee to have plastic surgery to look just like the referee. Just fantastic storyline twist. Yeah. Um, Hogan kicks out of the single arm suplex, but still gets counted out. And uh, because DiBiase wasn't able to directly buy the belt from Hogan, he had his hired gun, the giant, to go win the belt for him. And this is actually kind of a ripoff of a storyline from the NWA from the Georgia Territory where Larry Zabisco could not win the NWA national title, which was the most prestigious belt there. So he hired Killer Tim Brooks to do it for him and bought the belt from Killer Tim Brooks. What they added on the wrinkle of this time is a championship cannot be surrendered to a person. So the title has now been vacated because you surrendered it. And on, on we roll to WrestleMania four with the world wrestling federation championship yep. being held up. I remember president Jack Tunney on an episode of superstars making that announcement. He was like, I am uh, holding up the title and it'll be contested for in a tournament at WrestleMania four at Trump Plaza in Atlantic city, New Jersey. So, that's where we go next. And I just want to know if you know anything about this. Uh, they do a two-year run in Trump Plaza. They just did a football stadium. Trump Plaza, not big. And and you can tell it's not tremendously huge when, when you look at how the ring is set up and, you know, the big staircase down to the ring and everything. It's a, it's a prestige venue because it's Trump Plaza. And at the time, Trump had a lot of name value. Yeah, but, it was the home of Mike Tyson at the time, where he was basing right. his fights out of there. So it's a prestige venue, and that much I know. But it, you know, but they're giving up a lot of possible seats in order to do this. Um, do you know how the the two year deal at Trump Plaza came to be? Yeah, so uh, Trump was really trying to become like the entertainment destination on the East Coast, um, mm -hmm. basing himself out of Atlantic City, New Jersey, which was a destination vacation spot then, still is now to a much lesser extent, but. Um, you know, because you have a casino environment, there's a boardwalk with, you know, rides and amusement parks and family entertainment, too. Um, so Donald had been basing a lot of what he was doing out of New York into Atlantic City and trying to create like a resort type atmosphere. He had not only Trump Plaza, but Trump Marina, Trump Taj Mahal, a lot of real estate and stuff there to do. He was at the time courting Mike Tyson, uh, trying to become Mike Tyson's manager when Mike was the biggest sports star in the world. Um and was getting a lot of Mike Tyson fights to happen at Trump Plaza uh, on Boardwalk in Atlantic Which City. You can too. hear us talk about Mike Tyson in our history of uh, heavyweight boxing podcast. Plug, plug. Never miss a plug. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but so Trump was also looking at what are the biggest entertainment options. And, you know, Trump met with Vince and they were talking about, you know, he saw the success of WrestleMania. What do you think about doing this? The idea was hatched almost kind of the way they do things today, where they wanted to make it not just a one day thing, but they wanted to have a multiple day event where you could have a family come there, book a weekend in Atlantic city with the high point being them going to WrestleMania. But at the same time, they're going to experience all these other things. Yeah, there was uh, like a, I think there was like a, like a three, uh, 5k run. And there was like a, there, like a mini cruise and stuff like that. There was that there was uh, the WrestleMania brunch. They called it where you could mm -hmm. have brunch with some of the wrestlers and uh, stuff like that. It was kind of the, the, uh, beta version, I guess you'd mm -hmm. call, of what they really try to attempt today with creating a whole weekend of events based around WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of where that plan hatched. So they wanted uh, to do it, but they also wanted to have, I think Vince more than anybody kind of had the foresight of seeing if we're starting this angle build here, let's do the same thing and bring that same audience back because these are the people who invested in it to start. They want to see the finish. Mm -hmm. All right. So WrestleMania four is long. <laughs> this is there's a lot of there are 16 matches here because you have to do the tournament, but you had to break it up with some other stuff. And we kick it off 
with a battle royal. This is the get everybody on the card match. Um, the important thing to know is this was Bad News Brown's kind of coming out party, and he last takes out Bret Hart in this. So just real quick. When Bret has a change of heart. He does. But I want to talk about Bad News Allen. This guy is a, like a legit badass and one of like, what was it? One of the few people who told, you know, that even Hogan was like, I'm, I'm going to kid gloves, pal. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to mess with you. Andre. Andre. Hurt Andre hurt, uh, he heard Andre use the N-word and was willing to fight him on mm -hmm. a bus in Japan. And even news is like, I don't know how that would have ended for me, but just mm -hmm. the fact that I was willing to do it, I think Andre was like, oh, okay, that's enough. So what do we know about Bad News Allen? Because I think he's got like a legit sports background, doesn't he? 1976 Olympic silver medalist for the United States in judo. Uh, mm -hmm. first, and a lot of people feel he was robbed in his scoring of his match to try to go for the gold. Um, Grew up in Harlem, very tough. Uh, Alan Coaz was his real name. Um, from his judo background, got involved in professional wrestling through a lot of the Japanese guys he met via judo. Um, mm -hmm. Trained through New Japan, developed strong relationships with Antonio Inoki, Seiji Sakaguchi. Uh, gets his big break in North America working for Stu Hart in Calgary, where he really first gets a lot of momentum and becomes one of the bigger stars of the Stampede territory, working with Brett. Dynamite Kid, David Schultz, and a lot of the regulars uh, became great friends with Jake Roberts. Um, never really catches on in the U.S. until later into his career after a long run in Stampede, where he had just finished working with a young Owen Hart and came over to the WWF in 1988. They changed his name from Bad News Allen to Bad News Brown and kind of had an iconoclast character, the street tough, who was willing to say and do explosive things. It was very militant, wearing the black glove, and mm -hmm. uh, not a great in-ring performer, but a great character that probably got underutilized in a lot of ways. But I think a lot of that's Alan just being very outspoken about how he wanted to do business a certain way, and that's just he, that's just Alan. He did a house show loop with Hogan, didn't he? He did. Yeah, that's also, did, also did one televised match with Hulk. Uh, yeah, did that, a main event house show loop with Randy Savage as well. Okay, so that's sort of the height of his WWF career, which is not long. It's only a few years, isn't it? Uh, it's, I think it totals out at just about two years. Yeah. Um, all right. So he wins the match against Bret Hart. Obviously, they have big, some big plans for him. The first round tournament matches are the, are as follows. We have Ted DiBiase and Jim Duggan playing off their uh, feud in Mid-South. We have Don Morocco slapping meat with Dino Bravo. We have Greg Valentine. Who Can I just talk about Greg Valentine for a second? This guy is going to take you 20 minutes just to get warmed up. This guy is the hero of the early years of the WWE. He's on every match. He like he's one of the few that has been, so far been in every single one of the WrestleManias we have and will talk about. This guy is everywhere. Valentine's a workhorse, man. Always was. Oh my gosh! Like it, I don't think he gets enough like recognition and praise for his part in carrying this company on his back. I mean, was it entirely on his back? No, but, <laughs> but he is definitely there carrying the company, you know, along with everybody else, like, you know, like a ball bearer. He's, he's on the side. Um, so love Greg Valentine. Anyway, uh, he took, he takes on Ricky Steamboat and beats him. Uh, and then Randy Savage defeats the natural Butch Reed. We have the one man gang uh, who defeats Bam Bam Bigelow. And then finally, we have Jake Roberts and Rick Rude going to a draw. So we don't have to go through these individually. Just what stands out about these first round matches, Pat? Jake and Rick Rude felt like it was never going to end. <laughs> I love both guys, but man, not their best stuff together. Mm -hmm. um, 
everybody who always comments on this cannot believe they put Valentine over Steamboat because if you have Steamboat go over Valentine the way the brackets work out, mm-hmm. the next round you get the rematch between Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat from last year. And I know they're trying to preserve Savage because he's got to wrestle four times, but wouldn't it have made Savage look even stronger if he gets to avenge that defeat to Steamboat one year later on his way up to the title? No, it makes more sense to continue to punish the guy because he dared to take a uh, day off to see the birth of his child. That makes more sense. <laughs> WWE, we will spite ourselves. We will cut off our nose to spite our face. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So coming out of first round, uh, Ted DiBiase moves on. Don Morocco moves on. He wins his match actually by disqualification. Portino Bravo. Uh, the aforementioned Greg Valentine moves on against Steamboat. Um, Savage defeats Butch Reed. So just real quick, Butch still not in great standing with the company because of the aforementioned no-show? Didn't help, but I also don't think they had a real plan for him otherwise. And and again, mm-hmm. to be fair... We talked about how talent-rich this era was. And Butch was great, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's hard to stand out among so many standouts sometimes. And I think when that intercontinental push didn't happen, Butch just kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. What's happening in Mid-South around this time, seeing as we just named three or four of their top draws are currently involved in this company now and have been for a little while? They have been sold to Jim Crockett Promotions and merged mm-hmm. into his re- re- branch of the National Wrestling Alliance. And... We've seen two of his top stars, Ted DiBiase and Jim Duggan, already in this round. We've seen Butch Reed, and some of the other leftovers are kind of hanging around in either Texas or in uh, the Carolinas. So, and the gang. The gang is there, too. And he the was gang in as the well, yeah, guy. former UWF champion. Yep. All right, so that's round one. Um, now, Hogan and Andre got a bye in the first round, uh, which is why this is a little uneven. So we will see them in round two. And then there's another bye. I think one the gang gets a bye because of Jake Roberts and Rick Rude going to a draw. So, yes, they, this would have been longer had <laughs> we not had buys. Could you imagine? This is, no. a, this is a tough one to get through. It's like, yeah, and it doesn't it get is, any easier next year, but we'll get there. <laughs> it is known for, for the Randy Savage coming out party and what happens at the end, but it is a slog to get there. So, let's get there. Next, we have the Ultimate Warrior versus Hercules. And, you know, we've heard in the documentaries about this match, you know, Warrior, not exactly a technician. Hercules does okay when he's led. He's a better technician than the Ultimate Warrior, but then aren't we all? And the, and we and you and I talked about how, in, you know, in our In Defense of the Ultimate Warrior podcast, is Hercules really the best guy to put in there with the Warrior when the Warrior needs to be led as much as he does? Like, I would almost wanted, would have wanted to see Valentine swap with hercules and, you know and you, you get valentine c- kind of leading warrior along and hercules gets a big win you know and he's a big man big muscly man over over ricky sat randy's i'll say this ricky steamboat there's there's an available match that happened between the warrior and valentine from the bradley center on the undercard of an event we'll talk about later called the main event two mm-hmm. you can see why they didn't put valentine with the warrior because valentine just doesn't want to do anything with the warrior um <laughs> and kind of intentionally make some stuff look very bad in that match. It's pretty hard to watch. This is actually better than that. I will amend my statement to me. If Valentine is acting like a professional and not a douchebag, then I think that's a better match here if we swap those two. Either way, this is is bowling shoe ugly. This is angle spectacle because they did the angle Mm -hmm. on superstars to set this match up where Warrior actually snaps Hercules' chain as they tug of war over it. But 
I never understood. Oh, warrior snapped the chain. There's two guys pulling on the chain. They both snapped it. They're both <laughs> right. huge and monsters and strong. Like, right. and Jesse's the only, of course, the only one who you know says anything. They were both pulling on the ends of the chain. How does one guy snap it? You know, God bless you, Jesse. <laughs> you tell me how do they snap the chain? Very good. All right, yeah, this match sucks. Sloppy <laughs> finish. It is amazing uh, yeah. in two years this guy's going to be the world champion of this company because you look at this now. There were other guys who wrestled bad matches who they had big hopes for, and they go, oh, you're not ready. You know, and, you know, you see Sophia the first run in. She sings, I'm not ready, and then runs off again. It's it's so bad, but yet they they still had – don't worry about it. <laughs> the, okay. the dads the dads with, with children who watch Disney Junior got that reference. Okay. Um, yeah, but it, it is amazing they still have confidence in the warrior after this. It is that bad. Uh, quarterfinals. We have Andre and Hogan in their big rematch. Uh, you know, their, their, uh, their third match here. And this ends in a double disqualification because of course it does. As you do. We have, uh, Ted DiBiase defeating Don Morocco. Poor Don. We have Randy Savage and Greg Valentine in uh, a halfway decent technical match. I mean, Greg Valentine, not exactly Kurt Angle, but he can still put on a good match. Um, and then finally, okay, and that's it for the quarterfinals here. Anything you want to talk about with these quarterfinal matches? Uh, Savage, and Valentine, Savage and Valentine might be the best singles match to come out of the tournament um, mm -hmm. that we see through this. It was pretty good. DiBiase and Morocco, actually, it's short, but it's fun. Um, both mm -hmm. guys work pretty well together. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, yeah, the Hogan and Andre thing, they got to get them out of the – they got to get them in the tournament, but then they got to get them out of the tournament because they need to – promote randy savage and again to be fair there's the good subtlety of booking when you find out in the interview later that andre's entire job was just to keep hogan out of the tournament by dibiase mm -hmm. so he could win it seeing hogan as his threat right um so so nice bit of booking there andre intentionally being the kamikaze pilot and uh <laughs> just moving hogan out of the way i wonder if you're a fan and you went into this hoping that you know hokamania is at its zenith around this time and a lot of there are a lot of little hulksters in the audience and they all want to see hogan take, take back the title that was that was wrongfully taken from him robbed as it were and he doesn't even make it out of his first match like how many kids in the audience just like tearing off their side like what the hell with this place we came here for hulkamania and it's over no yeah. what no stop no <laughs> right <laughs> well who's left at this point why do i have to stay here to finish this who cares I can imagine there's there a lot of that going on in the audience. Um, anyway, we have an intercontinental title match with, you know, another guy. I talked about this in the, the previous podcast about there were some guys who caught on really early about what is expected and how you're going to make it make money in this company. And then there are others who just never really got it or maybe have gotten it, but weren't able to turn a corner and be that entertainer. Then there's Brutus Beefcake, who always looks like he's on cocaine. Just his wow. eyes are like, well, and he might have been, but it's just like he's doing, you know, he's got the big eyes and he went full throttle into this barber gimmick. He loves it. And it's such a cartoony character. But I remember as a kid, like it, it, it just, he was so colorful and so entertaining to watch. It was hard. It, it's hard to be mad at him for it. I hated him. I always hated him. Even as a okay. kid when I was supposed to love him, I just I, I hated him. I, I just never got it. He always mm – -hmm. his ring attire was always very – I was like, you're dressing like a woman because you don't have three <laughs> yards of clothing on. You have like sheer stockings underneath your tights that like, you know. It was the 80s, Pat. 
Well, and again, you know, if you go to the original Brutus Beefcake gimmick where he was a male exotic dancer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, prior to becoming the barber, it makes sense. But that's also not cool to, you know, young boys. Like, what, really? Like, that's what you're doing? Again, you know? I'm going to defend it in, in this way only. If you took Brutus Beefcake in his sheer cut up shredded tights and put him in the middle of poison, he'd look just fine. I guess. <laughs> and maybe yeah. and maybe if you're a 10 year old boy poison's not your thing i get that but that's what they were doing but i also just i never i, I always thought he kind of sucked i never liked his matches i never i thought he was a bad interview I, mm-hmm. I i just he was one of those guys who even like as a kid and you don't know the backstage imaginations you're like why is this guy always with hogan why does he always get a spot like really right. what with this guy like why not like jake why not like you know randy savage why not you know no anything in your defense, I'm, I've kind of got rose-colored glasses on because I remember, I'll be honest, I hated the barber gimmick, too. Um, it sucked. <laughs> but, also, he's not a nice guy. He's cutting people's hair for no reason. Like, he's just right. used to, to really insult them and mock them and just really bury them. Like, that, that's not cool. And he can't have just, just have barbers. He has to have garden shears because everything has to be big in the WWE. It's hilarious. Yeah. All right. He, he, he takes on the Hawk Talk Man, and he ends up winning by disqualification. Lots of... This is and, and and I get like Jim Cornette and some other people's like criticisms of early WWE where big matches never had ended in like good finishes. It's always DQs and countouts and stupidity. Yeah. Um, but hey, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Peggy Sue, Peggy Sue, Peggy Sue, played by uh Sherry Martel. Sensational Sherry. One of the two stars of this match, along with Jimmy Hart. That's right. All right, moving on. Um, we get a six-man tag next. We get the Islanders of uh haku and tama with bobby heenan and they take on the british bulldogs and coco beware uh is this bobby one heenan the- in the matilda attack dog suit yes <laughs> bobby heenan he's fun this, now this is in the latter dynamite this is the down scope of dynamite kid isn't it where they're kind of covering for him and his broken back uh, yeah, he's really not physically at, at his, his capable level. So they're kind of just doing whatever they can to mix him in and protect him and shield him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Bobby Heen is the star of this match. He's hilarious. And shortly after this, Haku's going to get a solo run. He's get to yeah. uh, somewhere in the next year. He will defeat King Harley Race for the crown, and he'll become King Haku, one of my favorites of the time. And, and Tama will no longer be in the company. He'll venture over to Jim Crockett Promotions to team with his uh, cousins as the Samoan SWAT team. Why did uh, Haku and Tama break up? Well, why did Tama leave? Well, Tom, this is Tama's second time leaving. You remember he was the Tonga kid, uh, Jimmy Snuka's little cousin, and had the big run on the house shows with Piper and Orton, mm-hmm. and uh, immediately was pushed into a main event spot despite being very young and not, you know, not fully uh, in the spotlight ever before this. And it was got to his head, and he was kind of told, uh, "Take your walking papers for a little while, kid. You're done," because he assumed, uh, got a lot of heat and. Uh, I never really got the full story as to why the Islanders were broken up and he left. Uh, it's not impossible to think something about, you know, uh, either he still had residual heat and the Islanders weren't really going to go anywhere with it, or maybe he just didn't like the schedule, which a lot mm-hmm. of guys didn't like and just felt like, ah, I'm going to be with my family down here and, you know, make it easier. Who knows? These things happen, but it wouldn't be out of the question that any number of those combinations were what caused it. I don't think the Islanders would have made a huge impact, but however, King Haku, outstanding. I loved King Haku. And King Haku's going to get a lot of marquee matches over the next couple of years. You know, is he going to headline a pay-per-view? No. But as we talked about, he gets matches with the Warrior and some others. I think he, I think we talked about he gets at least one match with Hogan. So, all right, moving on. Um, We get a semifinal match between Randy Savage and the one-man gang. 
uh, at which, which point Randy Savage beats him. So Randy Savage is the only guy, I think, who's going to wrestle four consecutive times and then finally win the damn thing, which is a big deal here. I think at some point, everyone gets like a, a buy or something who that advances in this tournament. So nobody else wrestles four times. Nope. Basically, uh, basically you had DiBiase gets the buy from uh, Hogan Andre to advance. You have... Mm -hmm. uh, Gang had gotten a buy with Rude and Jake, like we talked about. Hogan and Andre got a buy from being the, the last two guys in a title match. Uh, yeah, all kinds of shenanigans where poor Randy just got the crap end of the bracket and has to actually <laughs> wrestle every time through. Yep. Um, but that, that's how you make a star. All right. So Randy Savage versus the gang is fine. I mean, I, I will, having watched two years worth of these matches and seeing the evolution of one man gang into Akeem, one thing I noticed about him. He obviously he he was never necessarily like a big cardio guy, you know, being a big big humongous guy. But I mean, he could move. But one thing I noticed as as he evolves into Akeem, the African Dream, and then eventually becomes part of the Twin Towers, doing a lot of this, <laughs> doing for those of you, not even not even so much the dancing, but like the hand job, kind of, I guess you call it, right? Yeah, he would kind of hold his arms in like an effeminate like way, where he's just sort of having them like yeah. lightly draped. Which he wasn't doing as the gang. <laughs> he was, you know, in the gang he he looked tough, and then as Akeem, he just he would look weirdly effeminate. It's it's most bizarre thing. <laughs> um, but he has a decent match with Savage here. Savage can, can he? This is probably one of the first instances in the WWF of somebody who could work with a broomstick and it looked good. Yeah, and they they have better matches later on too uh, when Savage is champion as as both Akeem and the One Man Gang. And we get our last match here before the finale of the tournament. We have Demolition with Mr. Fuji. Uh, and they coming out parties. Yep. Um, and they defeat Strike Force for the Tag Team Championships. And this is the end of Tito Santana for a while, isn't it? Another... Uh, Martel. This is the end of Martel? Yeah, Martel, Martel is going to work basically. Well, Demolition wins the belts on this one uh, mm -hmm. off Strike Force, who've been champions since October. Martel's going to take some time off after a couple. They do about they run them with this till about May, and Martel's going to take some time off. They do an injury angle on TV where Demolition gives him the decapitation on the outside of the ring, so he's mm -hmm. put out of action. Uh, Martel's wife at the time was very sick, so he took time off to go be with her. Whereas Tito, this is well, you said it's it's kind of the end of Tito. He'll get like one kind of abbreviated singles push later on uh, at the Intercontinental Title stage with Mister Perfect. Um, but was he the Matador at that point? Because that's what I was talking no. about. No, okay. he was still Tito Santana. Right. Um, but as far as Tito being like a marquee guy that they could throw in and stuff like that, this is really like the last of Tito's runs as a real feature star mm -hmm. talent. Um, other than if you count him somehow making it to the final Survivor Series match of 1990 in the grand finale <laughs> where the team was Warrior, Hogan, Tito. <laughs> and, yep. uh, you know, seeing one of these things is not like the other and doing it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's honestly probably one of the better matches on the show, I think. I think Martel and Tito were so good. Demolition played their roles so well. I, I love this match. I have a soft spot for it. Did the WWF know at the time they weren't going to get... I mean, they'll eventually get them in a, in a year or so. But at the time, they don't have them. Did they know they were... Did they think they were never going to get the Road Warriors? And that's why they decided to do off-brand Road Warriors? I don't think never. But they tried in 1987, negotiated, talked to them, whatever, and then the Warriors ended up signing with Crockett. Uh, and then so instead, it was, well, we can't get them. We're going to make our own. And in my mind, they made a superior version of it, but that's just me. I was always a huge Demolition fan, but like Mark and I have talked about on other shows, Mark and I grew up in the New York market where 
what we were exposed to more than anything was the WWF as opposed to we, and we still got the NWA show, the NWA had nationally syndicated television, especially if you had cable, but mm -hmm. you looked at the presentation and everything. And yeah, the Legion of Doom looked here. The road warriors looked cool in, in the NWA. They're big, strong, muscly guys, but we were used to demolition and right. the presentation and production level, everything in the NWA kind of seemed second rate compared to the WWF. I would say the demo that people are going to think this is a weird comment, but, but bear and, I feel like the guys in Demolition were actually better wrestlers. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Bill Eadie, the mass superstar who had been you know, a star for years prior to becoming Axe and was a great wrestler. A main evented against Bob Backlund and main evented in the territories. Bill Eadie was a real ring general who was a great worker. Barry Darso is a very underrated worker as Smash because Smash did a lot of things that people forget about in matches. And they weren't just two big muscular guys who just beat people up. And had to be cheated against for them to sell. They sold for guys, mm -hmm. but they still beat people up. They still, you know, had that power right. style, but still incorporated wrestling into what they did. And that's and that's opposed to the Road Warriors, who we've talked about when we we talked about Dark Side of the Ring. Um, they wouldn't sell for guys. They, you know, like Warrior gets like an unending amount of shit because he doesn't sell for people, and you know, and he's not the world's greatest wrestler. The guys in the Road Warriors couldn't wrestle either. <laughs> you know. Probably. They they did a lot of power moves and they sold for nobody, but they looked awesome, and that was the that was the big thing. But I feel like because of the era that they came up in, the novelty of their act, because they really were like come in, do a big spot, leave again. You know, these 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 were guys that you could not. They they were very much um, hard to catch if you're a fan. And so I think people think they're 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 better than they really were because they were calculated as an attraction more so than demolition was. Yeah. All right, and then we get to our main event here, and that is Randy Savage taking on Ted DiBiase with all kinds of shenanigans and nonsense. This is fantastic. Uh, Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage really have a a, a great match here. Um, there's a lot of like Andre the Giant Virgil interference, at which point Elizabeth says, fuck this shit and runs <laughs> into the locker room. Which, which we've seen her do once before. And when she did that before, we know what happened. And she out goes, comes, Go ahead. Out comes the Hulkster to even the odds. Yep. And the Hulkster is like, leave him alone. And so he, him and the Giant go fight off, and Vir Virgil gets tackled. And Ray Savage is free to defeat Ted DiBiase, fair and square, one, two, three. Yeah, it's it's only a six minute match, mm -hmm. but they pack a lot into six minutes, especially when you consider, well, DiBiase's already wrestled twice, Savage mm -hmm. has already wrestled three times. They still have the the kind of shadows looming around them of Hogan and Andre, mm -hmm. um, and you know that's obviously the Hogan part, especially will play into the next year's defense. But um, it, Savage was the original Mister WrestleMania, and mm -hmm. this event really cemented him as such. WrestleMania 2, we talked about there's not really a great match to be had on the card, so mm -hmm. to speak. But he and George Steele probably have as good a match as you can have with George Steele in 1986. Sure. He goes ahead the next year and has the match of matches with Ricky Steamboat, where they you know elevate mm -hmm. each other to this new level of uh, you know notoriety and respect and, and performance. And this year he wrestles four times. While Hulk Hogan is actively on the roster, ascends to the World Wrestling Federation title, the, the, the biggest spot you can be in. Uh, and does so by putting on four matches with four different guys, four different styles, and really, really comes out of this looking like a star. 
and has the they sprinkle the Hulk dust on him to really get Hogan's endorsement so that little Hulkamaniacs aren't offended that their guy isn't the top right. dog now. And the, the subtle baby face turn that we talked about with him was really so crucial to this where he does the tweener thing, but then really he kind of becomes loved by the people. One, when Honky Talk Man shoves Elizabeth and nothing sets him off more than somebody putting their hands on Elizabeth, despite him being portrayed as the chauvinist kind of jerk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but never really portrayed as physically abusive to her or anything like that at this point. And when somebody puts their hand at that, he snaps. No, never. You don't do that. And that really made him a, a baby face, his baby face. And then Hogan coming out to aid him against uh, Honky Tonk and Heart Foundation jumping on. And then now the tournament, Randy Savage is established for being one of, if not even the top baby faces with Hulk at this point. So, yep, this WrestleMania 4, the big coming out party. It is fondly remembered because of that. And I think that if you focus on the Savage stuff, um, it is a better pay-per-view than you might think. If you watch it as a whole, like I did, gosh, it's it's long. Those, those met- people who say, oh, it's not the, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Mm-hmm. I go back to, it wasn't great, but remember the vacation reboot they did with Ed Helms? <laughs> Chevy Chase steals the whole movie with the line of, no. The journey sucks. The journey is terrible. It's the destination that makes the journey worth having. And that's kind of the story of WrestleMania 4. Yeah. I mean, one or two matches outside of the tournament stuff and then Randy Savage ascending into into legendary hood um, make this whole thing. But taken as a whole, look, you're not – WrestleMania – wrestling doesn't get any hotter in the WWF than it's getting in in the years that we're talking about now. And they are saved by that fact because if you are just looking at this just based on the event presented without all of the context, it's not great. I would tell you I had a harder time getting through this than I got through WrestleMania 2 or 1, which are also unfairly maligned. Uh, one, maybe more so than two at that point. But. <laughs> all right. Um, let me take a quick break here and talk to you about Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake for you on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. The next stop is SummerSlam, but we got to get there. And SummerSlam is going to be the Mega Powers, which is Hogan and Savage, versus the Mega Bucks. And my Two questions. One, do we see what's happening on the house show loops between WrestleMania and SummerSlam for Hogan and Savage? Hogan is not really on those loops. Hogan is uh, busy. He's filming this movie you might have heard of called No Holds Barred. Um, Ah, yes. um, So they kind of have broken Hulk away to try to let Randy stand on his own and see how he does as champion. So Mm -hmm. as it would make sense, Randy's initial house show loop run as champion is against Ted DiBiase, who is his foe from WrestleMania 4. And they do they do a lot of trips around. They'll work Madison Square Garden. They work a, a fondly remembered cage match from the Philadelphia Spectrum where a fan tried to run in uh, on Virgil. Um, and, and they do really good business together. Randy then goes from there into a program with Bad News Brown, uh, who gets there by on TV during the Brother Love Show saying that he thinks Elizabeth's doing favors for Jack Turney, and that's why Randy doesn't have to – face them and that turns into a whole thing and they have a series of Harlem street fights uh, on the house show loop. 
Um, so yeah, and then Hulk's kind of just uh, getting ready to film No Holds Barred and the cinematic masterpiece that it was that Mark just recently reviewed. Oh yeah. All right. So um, how did we get to? Oh, and he wrestled. I'm sorry. And Randy also has some matches with Andre. Some lasting mm-hmm. in the range of 30 seconds. Some lasting in the range of 10 minutes. Okay. All right. So on TV, how are we building towards the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks? So there's still that that Randy as champion uh, getting goaded by DiBiase, getting goaded by Andre um, type of environment. And so eventually, like, the, the two-on-ones become a lot. And they, uh, Andre, they Andre and DiBiase basically keep jumping Savage to the point where Savage needs backup. Hulk's been out of the picture and not mentioned really at this point on TV for a while. So they challenge Savage to find somebody to take them both on. Savage, of course, brings out the Hulk. The Mega Powers are formed on, uh, I believe it was on a platform interview set where uh, Randy had gotten jumped the last time and Virgil being dastardly holds Elizabeth and makes her watch while Heenan's laughing. And so they come out the next week and they, on, and I, I want to say it was the last one of the last interviews Craig DeGeorge did in the WWF. For those who remember, Craig DeGeorge is one of the backstage interviewers uh, for a period of time. And they do the very legendary fake the handshake hold. And they announced that it's going to be the two of them against Andre and DiBiase at SummerSlam on my birthday. The inaugural SummerSlam event. Yes. Which bears some talking about. So we've got Survivor Series, which was a poke in the eye to Crockett. We've got... Well, and then remember, Crockett now during WrestleMania 4 runs a free Clash of the Champions for the first time on TBS Mm -hmm. against WrestleMania 4 at the same time. So what's the skinny on SummerSlam? Why are we doing this? Survivor Series was more successful than they thought it would be mm-hmm. um, at the time, which was kind of like a crazy thing. Because the winter was always seen as a good time for territory wrestling because it was indoors. People are looking for entertainment. So, yeah, we're going to either go to the arena and be inside and not freeze, or we're going to watch it at home and not freeze, uh, one or the other. Summer was always seen as like your down months of business for wrestling mm-hmm. because people want to be outside. They want to be doing stuff. They don't want to be sitting in an arena or sitting at home. They want to be out and about. Um, but again, now, what they're looking at now is they've done a fall event. They've done a spring event, a fall slash winter event, we'll call it. Let's get into the summer months with something big that we can build to to keep these storylines going. Right. And so they basically they planned it for the end of August, beginning of September because it's one last hurrah before – you know, things like kids go back to school, your Labor Day weekend parties happen to end the summer officially for many people. So they targeted that date specifically to try to do it in there where it's not conflicting with any of those and still gives people an incentive. Uh, yeah, let's check this out and let's see where it goes. Okay, so that takes us to the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. Um, and <clears throat> the Mega Powers win. You know, not a whole lot to say here. Oh, there are some details that we do need to discuss. Eeny, the itsy bitsy teeny weeny brazzavada bikini. So this was hilarious. Did not want her to wear. This was hilarious to me, and I, I forget what the I, I watched the match, but I forget what the exact setup was because really the only thing worth talking about is this moment. So here you have this woman, this this fairly attractive, very attractive uh, woman, adult woman. And the, the heels are beating up the baby faces. There's no hope. Things are going to, it's all ending in tears. And she gets on the apron and she's wearing like a cocktail dress, basically, like a golden and red yes. cocktail dress. As and Bobby she, would refer to it, a blue light special. Yeah. And she pulls off her skirt. And what she's wearing is the bottom half of a bathing suit. 
I, I <laughs> essentially it's things a bikini bottom. Things were a lot more tame, Mark. I understand, but this visage of this woman standing, uh, sand skirt and pants, stops the. <laughs> Stops the heels cold. They're just mesmerized by this woman's legs and crotch standing there uh, for all the world to see. And it gives the faces an opportunity to take take the lead back and win the match. Which, which they also do the handshake on the outside while this is going mm-hmm. on. And they see the heels are just completely distracted, including referee Jesse Ventura. Yes. Who, like, he's the most distracted of anybody, which is fantastic. Jesse's facial acting here is great. Just <laughs> Like he'd never seen a woman before. And DiBiase, like, pauses for a minute. He's like, oh, okay. And then he's yelling at Jesse, like, do something. Like, get her. Like, Jesse's like, what do I do? <laughs> Which, to be fair, let's put ourselves in a scenario in real life, right? Where, uh, where, and actually this happened at work not too long ago, something similar. But, you know, you're, you're, you're an employee. You're there to, you know, maintain whatever order and such. And a woman just all of a sudden is in her underwear. What, what, what the hell do you do? Right. What the hell do you do? We had a woman who was caught stealing in our store and literally stripped topless and walked out. Nice. What, okay. what, what do you do? Right. <laughs> Ma'am, please put your clothes back on. So, yeah. Um, big, big fun main event. Mega Powers, Mega Bucks, Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase, Hogan, and Savage. The help, most memorable thing about this is Elizabeth taking off her pants. Woo! <laughs> um, <laughs> And then that's it. Um, and then we move on to the Survivor Series 88. Second year in a row. We have Hercules, Hillbilly Jim, Coco Beware, Hulk Hogan, and Randy Savage. And they took on Akeem and the big boss man who would uh, become the Twin Towers. Haku, the Red Rooster, and Ted DiBiase. One and of these things is not like the others. Can we just, just for a minute, what possessed Vince McMahon to look at the one-man gang? And think, jive talking black guy, go. Let's make fun of Dusty Rhodes. Has that been confirmed? How could it not be? They call him the African dream. <laughs> he struts in jive talks where he's clearly just a bulbous white man. Mm-hmm. At, at what point is this not a riff on on? Has anyone that's, left the road Has anyone that's been there, like a Bruce Pritchard or anyone, actually said for sure they were like, let's. They were like, Vince has had it with Dusty. He's had it with Crockett. And no, of course not. They've, they've okay. all denied it. Just the same okay. way, and my theory has always been, that the Red Rooster was a riff on Ric Flair that they've never mm-hmm. confirmed. Because, again, he's doing a strut. He's Instead of going, woo, he's going, Arr! like <laughs> Terry Taylor always fancied himself a little bit of a Ric Flair type of person. So he mm-hmm. wears the, the knee pads around the shins because he's got skinny calves like Ric Flair. Like, you know, and again, Bruce Pritchard was, you know, did, I, I see him as a banding rooster. Look at him, pal. He walks around here like he's the cock of the walk, which I don't doubt really happened. But mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't doubt that they also were like, oh, let's make fun of Flair, too. God damn it. And turn it up. So Bruce Pritchard's counter argument to that. And, I, and it's not that I don't believe you. I do. But Bruce, but it's, we're talking yeah. about it. So, so it bears repeating. Bruce Pritchard's counter argument is that we're a multimillion dollar company. Why are we going to waste time? making fun of something that nobody else is going to get. It's only going to make us laugh. Why would we do that? Um, have you ever met Vince McMahon? A little spiteful. Just a little. A little spiteful. Also, not necessarily in tune with what everybody else thinks is funny versus what he right. thinks is funny. Sure. Also, the fact that Bruce has said, well, Terry never really tried with the gimmick. He never took ownership of it and really tried to make it. Shut up, Bruce. Come on. 
Let's move on. All right. So this match um, of Hogan and this is just a continuation of the, you know, we need stuff for Hogan and Randy to do. We eventually have to blow them up. But, we, you know, we need to get the mega powers out there and doing stuff. And so this is yet another chapter in the long tail of the mega powers. But we, do get, we do get the first cracks starting to form in the mega powers in this. And mm -hmm. that's probably the most important thing about the whole match. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, you know, the, the big climax is, is uh, Hogan's been handcuffed to the ring post by uh, the boss man. And Slick has the handcuff keys, of course, as you do. And the, the Savage is just getting beat on, beat on, beat on. Not, like, nothing can happen. So eventually uh, what happens is they pursue Slick outside. Slick trips, falls, hits his head. Elizabeth takes the handcuff keys out of his pocket, frees the Hulkster. Hulkster comes, makes the save on, on Savage. Everything's cool. They're winning. We're celebrating. He hugs Randy, picks up Liz, and gives her a big hug and a twirl. And Randy, you see the look in his eye. Right. Doing what Liz there, pal. Oh, right. Yeah, don't like it. Step too and, far. Uh, and, you know, Hogan puts him down, puts her down. And then, like, he's, you know, looking at him still. And it's like, yeah, I should be celebrating. But you can see the wheels in his head turning. Why is he touching my girl? Why is he hugging my yeah. girl? And things start to percolate okay. a little bit. My only other question is between SummerSlam and uh, the main event two, Electric Boogaloo, are we doing any house show loops with the Mega Powers? Uh, they're not really working together as such on them. Savage mm -hmm. is working a lot with uh, Akeem. Hogan is working a lot with the boss man. Okay, moving on. So we get to the Royal Rumble 89. And speaking of cracks, you know, what started out is little dings, little you know, pebbles in the windshield. Well, now what a jerk Hogan is in every Royal Rumble, <laughs> by the way. Let's just point this out, but whatever. I have questions about this Royal Rumble, by the way. I have questions with how they did this, but let me let let let's get into it. So Hogan has three important eliminations here, one of which is Randy Savage. How why is he eliminating Randy? So it's not intentional. He dumps Randy while also trying to dump someone else, which I believe at the time okay. was Double A. Okay. Um, so in, in the process of doing that, he not only dumps Double A but dumps Randy. Um, mm -hmm. And then naturally, you talked about how the Mega Powers are a unit, blah blah blah, whatever. And this is long before the the Royal Rumble, every man for himself, winner gets a title shot at WrestleMania stipulation because Randy's right. the champion at this time in the match. This is just kind of a big. Uh, to do with, I assume, large prize money and the backstage goal. If we're going to elevate somebody by saying they survived this 30-man encounter, let's we're, we're going to make them a star, um, which was the plan for eventual winner John Studd mm -hmm. um, before he quit working with Andre. Okay, <laughs> well, that that, that that was my next question, but go on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, so Hogan dumps his best friend out, and Randy naturally snaps, and what, what are you doing? Like, we're, we're in this together, and you turn on me like that? What, what's the problem here? And gets in his face, sticking a finger right in his face. Yeah, man. And then Elizabeth has to run down and play mediator between them. And uh, sure enough, the next two guys in the ring with Hogan, I believe, or after Randy gets dumped, are the boss man and Akeem. Mm -hmm. uh, he sure enough gets beat up and dumped. Yep. But, uh, they, they, but again, another, you know, was it accidental? Was it not? Is Savage right to be paranoid? What's Hogan's intention by doing this? There's a lot of uh, a lot of subtlety in this one, which is kind of cool. Yep. But this is where we see major cracks starting to uh, starting to form here. Before we move on to the main event too, which is our our inciting incident to get to WrestleMania Five and the Mega yeah. Powers exploding, I want to. Yeah. Go ahead. There, I wanna, I wanna... Say, there's two matches we got to talk about before that briefly, but go on. Okay. So Stud wins the Royal Rumble. Yeah. 
But the Million Dollar Man was the 29th guy or the 30th guy. 30, in. 30. He bought number 30. He, he bought number 30, right. And he's dumped, I think, by stud. Um, why didn't they just have him win it? The thought process was to reintroduce Big John Stud as a potential main event guy at this point, with DiBiase mm-hmm. kind of having already been established as such and mm-hmm. having his, at the time, what would have been his main event run, and then they got to cool him off for a little while. So you put him in there in terms of Stud with a guy who had just been in the main events, and now you're reestablishing because maybe the audience wasn't there because Stud left shortly before WrestleMania three when mm-hmm. the real boom happened. Maybe they don't know Big John Stud. Maybe they don't know why they should care about him. So you put him in there because he's a big guy, but you've also got Andre, the one main, or Akeem now. But mm-hmm. why should we care about this big guy versus those big guys? So they put him over very strong by having him win that and then go on to a program with Andre. And then he quits. And then, uh, and then he quits. All right. So, yes, I want to get to the main event, too. But what's the other match you're talking about? There's there's two. So there's two televised matches. One is uh, Randy Savage defending the WWE title against Akeem. Okay. And during the course of that, of course, the boss man comes out to break up the pinfall with his nightstick. Hogan immediately runs down to clean house on them and save Randy. And uh, Randy kind of took it as Hogan grandstanding a little bit. Like, I didn't need you to bail me out. They hit me one time. I could have handled myself. You know, you didn't have to do that. And then uh, there's a follow-up match between Hogan and the boss man where mm-hmm. Hogan has Liz with him at ringside. And it's boss man, Slick and Akeem and... Sure enough, eventually they start doing a number on Hogan as a group. And Savage is in the back with Gene Okerlund. They're watching this on the monitor. And Savage saying, don't worry about the Hulk. He's going to be fine. Yeah, he's got it under control. Uh-huh. I remember that, yeah. And won't come out. But Boss Man grabs a hold of Elizabeth by the wrist and puts one handcuff on her. And that's prompt Savage to storm out with the chair and clean house on everybody. And gets a little bit pissed off because he said, Hogan, you, you promised me that you would never put Elizabeth in a dangerous situation. You know, it's hard. <laughs> On the one hand, Hogan kind of comes across as slimy through this entire two-year run. You know, he's a little lecherous. On the other hand, Savage comes off across like a maniac. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's not, only- a, not, a, not a healthy mix when you have those no. two personalities together. No, because when Savage says you have lust in your eyes for Hogan, that's true. But, uh, but Hogan always gets to like hide behind the – there's always a plausible, rational explanation for what he was doing. He does things very subtly slimy. There's a Brother Love episode where he's like, I love Elizabeth, mm-hmm. like a sister. And he right. goes, I love Macho Man, like a brother. Stop looking for an excuse to say you love Elizabeth, you slimy woman stealing. Yeah. Like, we'll, get, we'll, get to, we'll get to Jesse Ventura's commentary during the match. <laughs> it's the latest commentary ever, but um, we're here right now. Yeah, I just I have to say up to this point, like you watch the story unravel from WrestleMania four to WrestleMania five, and like the the low hanging fruit is it's Savage's fault. Savage, you know, never trusted Hogan, and Savage is a jerk and a maniac and all that. And he's paranoid about anybody with Elizabeth, right? But Hogan clearly has eyes for Elizabeth, and he's always putting himself in a position to where he can plausibly deny being lecherous, but he absolutely was. It's great. I, I think that's part of it, and I think also it. it they're, they're very much the two personalities that most people, I think, are to some level. Sure. And who, whichever one you fall more in line with, you're going to see their side of it better. Mm. Uh, quite clearly, my personality is much more that of Randy Savage uh, mm. in terms of my paranoid uh, manic stuff going on. Because uh, you're not paranoid if they are, in fact, out to get you. But uh, 
you know, I, I know how I am with, you know, women mm. and, you know, I'm very, and again, to be fair, that's based more on my insecurity than anything else. Probably same thing with Randy in that regard, especially mm. with a lady as beautiful as Elizabeth. And you're around a guy like Hogan, who's six foot tall and 300 pounds and yoked up. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a, a validation to paranoia at that point, you know. So right. he also puts his woman on a pedestal and thinks, what is she doing with me? Like, yeah, I'm the macho man. I'm great. But look at her. She's fantastic. Like, you know, how did I get so lucky? I need to protect her and keep her safe. And All right. I need to continue you know. to show her my value or she'll leave me. Yes. Demonstrate value. Right. And then, 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 physically, then, then, you know, you nurture dependence on you. Then you neglect emotionally to kind of foster that more. Mm -hmm. Then you inspire hope by coming back around and then you just separate entirely. Right. And, and just to go back to Hogan and your point, you know, he <clears throat> he is trying to be there for Randy. You know, and he's definitely playing the I'm innocent here. You're attacking me for no reason thing. But again, you can kind of see. They, they never really show it on TV, but Ho it's one of those where Hogan keeps putting his foot in it, whether he means to or not. And at some point you have to then start to question his psychological, you know, psychology to where, why do you What's keep putting idea? yourself in that position? What, what are you doing here? Why, why did you think that was a good idea? Right. All right. So the main event too, the mega powers, Randy, Macho Man, Savage, and Hulk Hogan uh, versus the twin towers of Akeem and Bossman. And this is it. This this event is where the mega powers exploded. Do you remember the music video they played beforehand to this, to this, uh, Mark? I mean, no, but is it better than Kenny Omega breaking up with Adam Page? Uh, yeah, everything's better than Kenny Omega involved in anything. So. Okay, fair enough. They, they play uh, to the tunes of uh, Jackson Brown and Clarence Clemens, You're a Friend of Mine, to various highlights of the mega powers mm -hmm. to which Jesse freaks out at the end. And he goes, you McMahon, you're unbelievable. You know, if you had been in the white house, Nixon would still be president. <laughs> I miss Jesse. All right. So the big thing here is all year long, the twin towers have been whomping and stomping on Randy Savage. And um, Elizabeth is injured at ringside and Hogan wanting to get this dinky broad out of harm's way carries her to the back at which point the twin towers can proceed to beat on randy savage and randy savage is like what the hell man well and again the, the beautiful subtlety of it when mm -hmm. when savage gets thrown to the outside and hits elizabeth and you know mm -hmm. she crumples to the floor in a heap uh you know hogan kind of pushes savage out of the way <laughs> checks on elizabeth Picks her up, carries her to the back. He's paying no mind to Randy. <laughs> Randy's standing over there. What are you doing with Liz? Uh huh. Yeah. What, what's going? And then gets yanked right. up by his hair back into the ring by uh, Akeem, and then gets a two-on-one assault from a thousand pounds of humanity. Which is hilarious because, like Hogan, in Hogan's defense, he's trying to be chivalrous. He's trying to get this harmed woman. Are you a doctor, Hogan? Are you an EMT? <laughs> What do, what do you know about medical care? You pick her up, which you're not supposed to do to somebody who's, you know, had some type of, you literally move her. You're not supposed to move them. Mm -hmm. You pick her up. You carry her to the back because I've never seen stretchers come down the ringside or anything ever before. You pick her up and carry her to the back. Not only do you do that, you stay there. Right. He's staying with, by the way, this is some of the worst acting I've ever seen. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, this is this was this was the warm-up for the scene with Randy in the hospital in No Holds Barred with his brother after Zeus <laughs> nearly cripples him. That's what this was the build towards. This was okay. Him getting ready for that. Oh, God, Elizabeth, please be safe. God, what is... And then Liz, who's never been known for her acting ability, 
kind of does like an Adrian from the hospital bed win and does a <laughs> go save Randy. Randy. Help right. Randy. And that's the only reason he goes back to save his friend. Right. Keep in mind, she's in the presence of medical personnel on a stretcher, Hogan. Right. There's nothing else you can do here. Oh, by the way, Randy Savage is fighting a thousand pounds of person plus slick, plus nightsticks, plus what is have the, you. Is the impression you're supposed to get as an audience that Hogan was hoping maybe that if he stayed with Liz long enough, she'd eventually Randy speak dies. with him? Uh, <laughs> Randy dies and he's out of the picture and he can just swoop in like on right. his like you know, like if I if I if I am nice to Liz long enough, she will eventually sleep with me. Like, <laughs> which uh, That's the impression I, I got from the lusterer. Yes, the lusterer. <laughs> so eventually, the match ends. <laughs> yes, they they win. They they beat the, the twin towers and um, they go back to the That's locker true. room. Well, well the, the, but again, like they win, mm -hmm. but during the course of time when Hogan finally shows back up, what's Randy do? Randy slaps him right for leaving him. So they go to the back, and this is this is the big thing. This is the big dramatic moment. They go to the back, and uh, Hogan and, and Randy. And this is so funny to me. I, I just watched this again. This is the most hilarious thing in the world. I, I think. If I was a man, Hogan, you were calling me like a man. But I would beat you one, two, three. That Savage has his like. Mo it's like a monologue here, but it you know, but it, it's it's just kind of broke up. He's like, you're like you you. This whole thing breaks down to you're jealous of me. And you keep putting your hands on Liz because you can't beat me. What? <laughs> this is when Randy becomes the delusional bad guy. This right. is when you're not supposed to be able to root for him anymore. Yeah, this is where his psyche completely slips, cracks. But the whole time Hogan is like, and it's so funny because Hogan, like, look, is not a great actor, and there's a lot of bad shit you can say about Hogan. But I got to give him credit, brother. I got to give him credit here. Hogan looking bewildered and confused <laughs> because it's legitimate. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know what you're saying right now. Well, and then, like, the best part is like leading into this, they're they're mm -hmm. doing this live. This isn't a, a live for tape. Right. This is this is live. And Randy, apparently, according to Hogan, all things mm -hmm. being fair was upset with how close Hogan was clutching his hands to Elizabeth's chest <laughs> in real life. So he's going off on Hogan in the back while they're getting ready to jump into this segment, and Hogan's looking to the queue to count them into the thing while Randy's already yelling at him, and they're like, we're, we're rolling, we're live, like, keep it going, we're, we're, we're already in this. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you, if you were to come at me like a man, that would be okay. I would beat you one, two, three. Always the one, two, three. Yeah, mm -hmm. huh? And, uh, you know, Elizabeth, try and talk some sense into this guy. <laughs> I don't come again, go into the woman, not coming at Randy man right. to man. I, well, I, I don't defend Hogan a lot, but in this instance, you can't help but feel for the guy because, like, Randy is you, you can't reason with him at this point, he is utterly irrational. <laughs> not utterly, <laughs> he's completely irrational. And so, and Hogan's just, like, I don't know what I did. <laughs> Yeah, right. and so and now we and now it comes to it. Elizabeth finally gets off the already. She's like, "All right, you two idiots, I'm good, thanks." And and Randy Savage is just pissed off. He's like, he's had it with the whole thing, and he leaves. And he comes back, and he comes back at Hogan, and runs over Liz in the process. Yeah. And now we're really trying to underscore this is the bad guy. He, yeah. There, there is no justifying his actions anymore. However, he justified one action to me after Beefcake comes in to check mm -hmm. on Hogan. What are you doing, man? And then Randy just kicks him and beats the piss out of Beefcake. <laughs> right on. Yep. I always then, remember, though, in this scene, like, and mm -hmm. I don't know why this always just stuck out to me. 
the explosion of tongue depressors that just flew everywhere <laughs> when Randy covers Hogan with the title. Mm-hmm. It's like, That's so what good. Need so many tongue depressors for? <laughs> what is, what is my process there? Why? What are they going to do with all these? Are there that many? Yeah. So. That's it. That's our inciting incident. And now we are full throttle to WrestleMania 5. The mega powers explode. With the best interview lead-ins ever. Yeah. I And I have to say, like, again, yeah, to, to, the whole point of this podcast is to properly put these events into, into context. There's nothing hotter happening, like, in the country at this point in terms of storylines and sports and sports entertainment. This was the it event. And it pains me that they are doing it at Trump Plaza again because they could have easily done a football stadium with this. It's there, it's there, not getting bigger than this event. What is there? There's this and Tyson Given. That's that that's it. Right. <laughs> yep. And Trump's got them all. So right on Donnie. I um it is amazing. Was there now? I know that they were already signed, so this might be a, a moot point question. But was there every ever any consideration to maybe putting off, you know, Trump Plaza for another event and maybe trying to do this at a football stadium? Because the next year so. they're going to do it in Canada, and the following year they're going to do it in Los Angeles. So they they do football stadiums for a couple of events uh, over the next few years. I think it was more a case of they they wanted this build and they went with what they did at the time, but then seeing the end result. It was probably one of those things where they were like, mm, they maybe had some uh, some regret in the decision of how they did it because maybe they could have capitalized on it more than what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, Imagine if they had done this in Los Angeles the year before. Like, you know, had they done WrestleMania 5 in Los Angeles. There's a better shot that they can get the LA, the, uh, LA Coliseum to actually have the attendance they wanted for WrestleMania 7 at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to check the buy rate on this, actually, while we're doing this because I, I right. know that there's a downturn eventually. Well, WrestleMania six, while they have it in a stadium, it's 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 according to Bruce, if I remember correctly. So here we go. Okay. Things are things are. It's the the yeah. bottom isn't falling out, but it, they're not. Nothing is as good as it's gonna is no, getting right but, now. But to put it in perspective, we'll go from WrestleMania four. They did four eighty five thousand. Mm-hmm. SummerSlam does four hundred. That's not a huge drop off. Um. Survivor Series drops off more. It's 310, which is kind of expected. Mm-hmm. The Royal Rumble doesn't really do much. It does 165, but again, you don't have a lot of marquee on that. WrestleMania 5, in comparison to the year prior, which did 485, WrestleMania 5 does 767. Right. That is almost double what that was. So that should tell you right away where the, this build went to and how big it got. Now, we'll talk on the next podcast about the build from 5 to 6, but... Nothing is in terms of building a story is as good as what they built towards five. Nothing. The build towards Hogan and Warriors. Their their heaviest pay per view buy rate yet. The buy towards the the buy. uh, Sorry, the the build towards Hogan and Warrior sucks, and we've covered at length what happens with the Warrior. The I I don't think seven does nearly as, as well. Also, but at least the build with Hogan and Slaughter because of what's going on at the time. Better than Hogan and Warrior, but not great. And then eight is a complete seven disaster. Is, seven is the first time SummerSlam outdraws a WrestleMania in terms of pay-per-view buy rate. Okay. Well, we'll get to that in the next podcast. At this point, we are finally here at the main event, WrestleMania Five. The Mega Powers Explode, coming to you live from uh, Trump Plaza for a second year in a row. And uh, this is a pretty interesting card, all things yeah. considered. If you think four was a slog, <laughs> this, this is, is a- really, let's get everybody on the show. 
Yeah, this is a long card. Like, like this might be one of the longest ones um, outside of not, WrestleMania 2000. And not even just for the wrestling. We've got two non-wrestling segments that drag. Yeah. All right. So we're going to whip through this here because some of this is not worth talking about. But we have Hercules who defeats King Haku in about seven minutes. Pat? Playing off the finish from last year's WrestleMania, though, where Herc got pinned by the Warrior getting his shoulder up on the full Nelson. This mm -hmm. time, Herc's the smart one and gets his shoulder up on the suplex and pins Haku. Okay. So I like continuity. What can I say? Fair enough. Um, so this next one is the Twin Towers versus the Rockers. And I know just from listening to like the Shawn Michaels biography or whatever, the Rockers had two stints in the WWE. One not, not so long, and then one obviously was the big one that eventually turned Shawn into a single star. Are we at one or two when this takes place? This is stint number two. Stint number okay. one was very brief in 1987. This is stint okay. two. And they looked like stars in this match, the way they sold and bumped around for the Towers. Um, they, they were guys who made you want to watch more, even though you knew they just weren't going to beat the Towers because they were outgunned. Stuff they could do was so ahead of everybody else at the time. Brutus Beefcake versus Ted DiBiase. And this ends in a double countout. And I, I have to ask, why couldn't they just give this one to poor Ted? Because then Beefcake would have to do the job, brother. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a uh, fine. Ted DiBiase is is a good. Ted DiBiase in the Orndorff spot of constantly falling down the card right now. Yeah, really. Poor this poor guy. Um, all right. Next, we have the Bushwhackers making their first WrestleMania appearance against the fabulous Rougeos, who started off as faces, if I remember correctly. They were yeah. the year prior. They were uh, they were faces, and here they're heels. Um. Still doing a lot of jumping around, still doing a lot of like high flying spots here, but they're in there with the two clowns, which it, it this bears just bringing up momentarily. So the Bushwhackers had made their bones in other federations in New Zealand and whatnot as being murderers. Yes, <laughs> these, these guys the, were the killers. Sheep herders were among the most violent mm -hmm. tag teams ever. Why did the WWE want them then? And then if they wanted the sheep herders, why did they turn them into the bozos? There's a fine line between genius and insanity. And now we've gone from the insanity part of two murderous Australians who look like they've done 40 years in state penitentiaries who compete in barbed wire cage matches against the Fantastics in Mid-South. Two guys who, if you just tweak them a little bit, I bet the kids would love these guys. And they did for a little while. They did. And I, I include myself in that. As a youngster, I loved me some bushwhackers. And then mm -hmm. I, as I got older, I was like, this sucks. And then I found out who the sheep herders were. And I was like, these guys are amazing again. Yeah, I. Uh, this was kind of a... You know, you talked about your hatred of Brutus the Barber and how stupid it was. That's kind of how I felt about the Bushwhackers. Now, like again, this is what year is this? This is '89, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is '89. I'm 12 at this point, and I'm not into the Sheepherders. I'm not into the Bushwhackers, rather. You've been into the Sheepherders. I would have. I would have, and I still would be too. <coughs> Owen Hart making his debut as the Blue Blazer in mask, not the Blue Blazer who. They made a joke out of, but just, you know, kind of a luchador type. And he uh, he's defeated by Mr. Perfect, who has entered the company. And these two, you know, for the six minutes they had, put on a good cruiserweight style, flippity-doo athletic very, match. Very athletically based uh, match. Yeah. Even better stuff on the house show loop. There's a match they had from your old stomping rounds at the Nassau Coliseum that goes about mm -hmm. 13 minutes. That's just unbelievable. Yep. This is the workers, uh, the workers match on the card. Mr. Perfect debuting the singlet look in this match. And in the not workers match, we have Demolition, who take on the powers of pain, who and, are made up of the Barbaria and the Warlord with Mr. Fuji. 
and Mr. Fuji. It's a handicap match. That's right. Now, I have to ask here. You have Demolition, who is your, well, if we can't get the Road Warriors, we'll make our own. Who are, who are now baby faces because people <laughs> just love them. Right. What the fuck is the point of the powers of pain then? How many of these teams did you need? <laughs> I don't know if you know Vince McMahon at all. <laughs> he has certain tendencies and likes that he likes to gravitate to. Mm -hmm. Well, the powers of pain, who really, let's be fair, were more of a Road Warrior ripoff than Demolition were. Oh, they absolutely um, were. And yeah. they sucked. Barbarian was good. Barbarian could do stuff. Warlord, kind of, you know, just a look, just a body. Um, mm -hmm. But they had done a program with the Road Warriors before leaving the NWA to come to the WWF. And they initially were seen as they were going to be the, the babyface version of the Road Warriors and WWF to tackle Demolition. Mm -hmm. Well, Demolition was already over and established and getting good reactions. Powers of Pain, not so much because the WWF audience just wasn't into their Road Warrior light shtick. So they flipped them. Did a babyface heel switch together, combining them, each, and Fuji went with the powers. And they had done good business in the NWA with the Road Warriors, so the WWE thought they could do it with Demolition and the Powers of Pain in that respect. Didn't turn out as well as they hoped it would, so they upped the stakes by adding Fuji into the match as a handicap match. Playing off of Fuji had been a five-time tag team champion, and now it's a three-on-two with these two mm -hmm. massive teams. What does Fuji bring to the table? But then the fans got what they want because Demolition ultimately get their hands on Fuji and put him in the decapitation and get the pin right. on. I just, you know, I, I when I said, you know, how many of these teams do you need? Like, I get what you're saying, and that, that all makes logical sense. But I think as a fan, you know, you want contrast. You want light versus dark, black hat versus white hat. We, we think have... we want the, the four yoked up guys on the poster <laughs> to go at it. And then, like, four minutes in, we're like, eh, there's mm -hmm. a lot of clotheslines. Yeah, yeah, a lot of forearms, brother. Yeah. Um, but also, like... As Gavin would say, Gavin Napier, formerly the Casual Heroes, you know, you can only do so much power and paint before it gets boring. You know, well, again, you talk about contrast. Look at the contrast early on the card with the Rockers and the Towers. Right. See, that's what you want. Two big fatties versus two gymnasts. It's great. You know, not four guys all yoked up. And Demolition were not yoked up. Demolition were, were big. But they were like dad bod dudes. Um, more so Billy Eady than Barry Darso. But still, they were – Demolition was dad bod. Powers of Paint, they you know those were your those were your gym rats, but they were all still like weird haircuts and face paint. It was it's too much, too much in one match. Moving on, um, Dino Bravo finally, finally getting a win over poor Ronnie Garvin, <laughs> Fuck. who is just over a year removed from his run as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Mm -hmm. Yep. Come to the WWE. There's lots of money and merchandise opportunities, action figures, T-shirts. You're going to lose every single one of your matches. We may put you in a clown suit. Except for that classic with Greg Valentine at the 1990 Royal Rumble. Um, the Brain Busters of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard defeat Strike Force. All right. So at, we're at the point now, I think, when – is this where um, – what's his face? The one that everyone – Bill Hurd. Is this the Bill Hurd era? Is everyone running from him? Jim Hurd? Jim Hurd, yes. Uh, so, no. Jim Hurd is not there yet. Um, Arn okay. Tully basically jumped because they didn't like the payoffs they were getting from Jim Crockett uh, okay. to the point where they were in Philadelphia one night and they gave their notice to Jim Crockett and said, do you want the belts tonight in Philadelphia? Because they were the World Tag Team Champions at the time. Do you mm -hmm. want the belts tonight in Philadelphia or do you want them tomorrow in Baltimore? Who's in the Horseman at this point? Is it Flair, Arn Tully, and... And Barry Windham. Barry Windham, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so those are the horsemen there, but Arnatelli are just very dissatisfied with their payoffs, and they talk and find out how much money they could potentially make, you know, in the WWF, mm -hmm. and decide, well, if we're going to try it, we're at this stage of our careers, this would be the time to do it. Look at what they're doing over there. Let's go. 
they agreed to their deal and came over and it was very I remember like not my memories of this time as a kid, what I retained from actually watching it live are very different from what I would see, you know, through video and stuff. And I always remember as a kid, like renting, like, I think it was SummerSlam 89 a lot when I was younger. And like the first mm -hmm. time I was like really aware of it when I was like, maybe like eight, I'm like, Arn Anderson's in the WWF. What? <laughs> All right. Because he's such a staunchly WCW NWA figure that seeing yeah. him there is like, wait, what? When did this happen? I remember thinking as a kid, who are these two nondescript guys that they're calling the brain busters? <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I remember like, but this is around the time where Bobby Heenan's bringing all kinds of guys in. Like, you know, he's, he's got Terry Taylor too. So it's just like, it's Bobby Heenan and Bobby Heenan's goons. Yeah. And so without having any other context, that's all I re regarded them as. But they were a fun team to watch, man. They were good workers, obviously. Incredible mechanics. Their series mm -hmm. with the Rockers that they'll have in WWF is among my favorite consistent like tag team feuds ever. Um, and they get a great team to work with here in Martell and Santana, who are workers, workers too. So, you know, had this not been an angle advancement match, I'm really excited at what it could have been for how good all four of those guys were. Mm -hmm. Tully and Tito had known each other for years, going back to Texas, where they both broke in and uh, Tully's dad's promotion, Southwest. Arn had crossed paths with pretty much everybody at some point at this point, and Martell had been the world's champion of the AWA, well-traveled. These were four guys who could really put on a great match. And they, they have a pretty good match, but it's really just angle advancement, where this is Martell's big comeback to strike force. He had come back at the Royal Rumble and was kind of a, like a, a hero story coming back from injury. Him and Tito decide to reform the team. They're going to do this. And then, sure enough, there's a little bit of miscue from Tag Rust, and that is Martell's impetus to turn heel and talk about how he carried Tito. And he'll turn heel. He'll take on Slick as a manager, but he doesn't really get the momentum as a heel until a little bit later into 1989 when he uh, becomes a model. Next up is Jake and Andre. They had an interaction at the Royal Rumble where Jake, where Andre eliminates himself. <laughs> because he's running away. Jake almost kills Andre on Saturday night's main event with a python giving him a heart attack. Yeah. So Andre, not a real fan of snakes. And uh, Jake's going to win here, but I have questions about Andre because, you know, Andre going, we talked about this on the last podcast. Andre going into 87 is like my back, my my, my legs, my back, my everything, my Glavin. And they're like, okay, put Hogan over and go rest your Glavin. And, and so he does. Um, and then, but they were like, all right, but come back for Survivor Series. All right, you know, and then come back for this and then come back for that. And so not a whole lot of house show loops for, for Andre, just a lot of television. And at this point, they don't need him. Why, why, why even have him on the card? Because he's still Andre. No matter did he, how. Did he want to be there? I, I don't necessarily. I think he kind of did for certain reasons. I think he liked the camaraderie of the guys around him or at least mm -hmm. certain guys around him. I think he enjoyed that because he had gotten so familiar with it and it was happy for him in that extent. Um, he's still making very good money, obviously. And, mm -hmm. you know, around this time, Andre had a daughter, um, you know, Robin Christensen, who he was kind of determined to just build everything he could for at that point. So I think that's probably a lot of his primary motivation as to why he's sticking around. Mm -hmm. A lot of what he gets to do is pick and choose with who he works. Um, so he, he's fine working with Jake because he knows Jake, knows Jake is second generation. He respects it's him. It's an odd contrast because Jake – very methodical, very slow, you know, I, technician. And I don't, and I, that's the thing. Like, even as a kid watching this, I'm like, what the hell is Jake going to do against Andre? Right. Against Andre, you have to be a Hogan. You have to be a warrior where you have the power to be able to take him on, or you have to be crafty like a savage who can mm -hmm. jump up to the top rope real quick right. and, and tire him out. I was going to say, in terms of psychology, you have to be speedball. You have to be able to bump off of Andre. Yeah. 
you have to throw yourself around the ring. You yeah, know, Jake, Jake Styles just is never going to mesh with this version of Andre. No. And this match is horrible. But a lot of their inter- the two guys they had worked with Andre, and I never understood it were Jake and Duggan because mm-hmm. it just you're not going to get a good match out of it. And I and I love Jake. Mm-hmm. I love Jim Duggan. You know, mm-hmm. particularly Mid South Jim Duggan, who still had. And a little remember, bit in in this time is also the Warrior, <laughs> like yeah. poor Andre. <laughs> yeah, but even but even Warrior at least makes sense from the standpoint right. of Warrior's this superhuman you know character. Mm-hmm. Duggan's a rootin' tootin', boom, 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 mm-hmm. fist in your face guy. He ain't gonna beat Andre like that. Right. Jake is psychological stuff, and oh, he can manipulate him with the snake, but then he's still gotta get physical with him. And Jake, who you know looks like a human snake, just uh, you know long. Uh, you can barely muscle on him. Your, your finishing move is the DDT, which involves you getting somebody to bend over, and Andre can't move. Like, it's like his mat. Look, I love Andre the Giant. I always will, and he he deserves his place as a Hall of Famer. But these years, where where all eyes were on him, he can't move. He is awkward as fuck. He he needs that speedball to bounce off of him and can put mm-hmm. him over, or he needs that guy who he can do thirty seconds with that's believable or what have you, and then right. you know right off into the back. Um. I think shortly after this is Andre's return to face just to have, so he can have a ha- happy exit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, well, it's a year from now. It's, okay. like, it's not really a full turn. He's still, they, what they do to protect him now after this is they pair him with Haku and mm-hmm. uh, Haku That's right. the heavy lifting and, you know, Andre can still be Andre. Um, yeah. But yeah, this, this match is just not good. There's, there's one point there's um, Jake's in the corner. Andre's doing the shoulder thrust in the corner mm-hmm. and Jake is supposed to hit him with a knee lift to like, you know, get a hope spot in and they kind of do it. But Andre is so immobile, like from the bending, he can't really, you know, hoist himself back and forth. Mm-hmm. Jake moves his knee as much as he can, but you really can't see much of it. And there's like, it, 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 the girl is kind of like, oh, what was that? Jess and Jess goes, oh, I think it was a short knee. And like, you could tell even they're trying to cover it, but it's just not working. Like, it's, yeah, it's so mobile and so physically crippled. They have John Studd as the referee to to build into the, what was supposed to be the house show circuit for um, mm-hmm. for Andre and John. But like John quits because Andre hates working with him and just chokes the shit out of him and punches him and does stuff to him. And John Studd's <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? I've had enough. I'm going to go make Harley Davidson in the Marlboro, man. All right. Um, so we have the Hart Foundation, and this is going to be the, the reunion Hart- of the Hart Foundation. Yeah, they, the, the Hart Foundation doesn't roles. doesn't last too much longer after this, and they take on not yet called Rhythm and Blues, but would eventually be Rhythm and Blues of Greg Valentine in the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, and the Hart Foundation win, and it's fine. It's a tag team match. It's getting it's, people it, on the card. This was hey, let's reintroduce the Hart Foundation as a team because our solo plans for Brett kind of fizzled out at this point. We don't know mm-hmm. what to do with Jim. They were over as a team. They're good together. Let's put them back together. Let's get them. Who can we put them in with? Um, Hockey and Valentine. They're Jimmy Hart guys. They still hate Jimmy Hart. This will this will work just fine. It's fine for what it is. It's not a major spot on the card. It's Brett and Jim doing Hart Foundation stuff and getting back into the rhythm of being a team together. Next one, Rick Rude in Ultra Warrior in our other feature match of this card. We get to talk about something good, Mark. Yep, Rick Rude defeats the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Title. Talk to me about, I mean, we, we briefly discussed this in our history of the Ultimate Warrior podcast, but how much of Rick Rude's mentality with the Warrior was, for the love of God, let me teach you how to wrestle? And how much of it was, I hate you because you can't wrestle? I, I think more than anything, Rick, Rick Rude understood, like, I'm being put into a prominent spot right now with a mm-hmm. guy who they're investing in heavy. This is my chance to shine where if I can make this guy look better and have these matches with him. I'm putting myself in line to work with 
everybody on top and get my paydays and maybe even get a top spot mm-hmm. um, and establish myself. Because Rude had been a top guy, you know, elsewhere. He'd been a top guy in Texas for world class. Um, and he'd been in the tag, top tag team with Manny Fernandez in the Carolinas. So Rude's looking for a top spot, but he's also looking for the money that goes with that top spot. Mm-hmm. And knows that the Warrior is not a well-versed worker. But if he can get out of the Warrior, what other guys haven't been able to, Rude's stock goes way up with Vince and Pat and everybody who matter. So you can like you take his match from last year where he does work against a guy considered an excellent worker in Jake Roberts, but I thought that match was just horrible and bored me to tears, and I felt like it was never going to end. You take that match and contrast it with what he does with the Warrior here, Rude goes above and beyond as much as he can in this match to get Warrior over. He bumps like a madman. There's um there's a spot where Warrior shoves him into the corner. Rude flies from about mid ring, hits the back mm-hmm. of his head onto the turn the middle turnbuckle, and I'm just like, oh, that looked bad. But Rude just gets up and trucks through it. For his offense, he breaks out one of the most beautiful top rope missile drop kicks that you'll ever see, and it lands right on the Warrior's chin. And it was, but again, doing everything he can, lets the Warrior power out of his finish in that big spot that the crowd cheers for, mm-hmm. and makes a much more entertaining Warrior match than we've ever seen to this point. And to top it off, the plan is that they're going to put the belt on Rude to get Warrior one. There's something now for the Warrior to try to go after and chase, as opposed to just maintaining the Intercontinental Champion and being boring or whatever, because there's no, there's no stakes. Mm-hmm. Now he's got to get back what's his. Right. He's also had the belt since last year's SummerSlam. Right, which, uh, you know, in context of period of time, that's an extremely long run today. It's not an extremely long run then. And I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people don't maybe understand about that. But we also get the nefarious Bobby Heenan helping Rude achieve by pulling Warrior's leg out from under him when he suplexes mm-hmm. him back into the ring to get the win. So they're setting the stage here. Well, yeah, he lost, but he, he was cheated out of it, so he still looks strong. Rude's now the Intercontinental Champion. His stock has gone up to people because now he's got a belt. He has a win over the Warrior by hook or by crook. Mm-hmm. And his stock has gone up to the people who matter in his business because he looked great. Look at what he did with the Warrior in this match. This guy's never had a match like this. And look at what Rude can do with him. Okay, um, my last question to you, and then we'll get into the main event here. To your recollection, um, I don't know if we've ever even really talked about it, but we've, we've always talked about people's reaction to the Warrior. Did war- What was Warrior's reaction to Rude? Because there were some people that Warrior was like, like I hated working with Bobby Heenan. I hated doing weasel matches, you know, the weasel suit matches. You know, or this guy was this, and this guy was that. You know, he had his issues with Hogan, not necessarily working with him, but later on, he thought Hogan was a piece of shit. We've already covered this. Terry, <laughs> your juvie juice. Um, Go watch that hour-long Warrior promo, guys, or his shoot, whatever you call it. It's an hour-long video of Warrior ranting on Hogan. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> My question to you is, um, and I'll get, let, give you a couple of minutes to talk about this. Um, I actually got to stop the camera for a second. But uh, tell me about Warrior's reaction to, and you know, and how he dealt with Rude. And the other thing I want to talk about here is, or remind people of is, you know, we did talk about how uh, a couple years from now, He's going to, his first major feud coming out of WrestleMania 6 is going to be rude again. But there's, as much as we thought that was not the, not the greatest idea, you know, because it wasn't novel, you can see why with this match and then the forthcoming SummerSlam match, why they thought, okay, we got to keep these two together. They, they, they make magic happen. Yeah. So part of Warrior's reaction to rude, I've never really heard Warrior openly speak about his relationship with rude or the matches or anything like that. Um, what you get is a lot of secondhand stuff. So Rude and Warrior work a long house show loop in the build from WrestleMania 5 to SummerSlam 89. 
while Rude's Intercontinental Champion. And the majority of matches are ending in disqualifications and stuff, and Warrior will win, but he doesn't get the title. And Rude's just working his tail off every night. And during this time, Rude is kind of telling Warrior, hey, you need to tone it down a little bit in the ring, because Warrior's not only, you know, not great, but he's a little bit stiff and can, you know, he may not be, you know, a tough guy, but if a guy with his arm, which is, you know, 20-some-odd inches of solid just rock muscle – is blasting you with the clothesline and not pulling back on it, it's going to hurt. And not to the point where you're you're complaining and crying about it, but it's like, hey, we're working together every night to try to, you know, make money for each other and feed our families. You doing that gorilla horse shit is going to get one of us hurt, and you need to pull it back. And a lot of guys at this time say Warrior's ego was getting real out of control because he was rising up so fast and making so much money that Warrior kind of dismissed him and blew him off. And Rude, who was known for being a tough guy, Open hand slapped the warrior in the back and knocked him out in the shower. Warrior was out after Rude just open hand whoosh, knocked him cold. And at that point, apparently, they didn't have any issue working together going forward because Warrior basically listened to what Rude told him. Um, I can definitely see where they can gel at certain points because each guy was about how much money am I making, which should be everybody's bottom line in that business. But I can see where they would have common ground there. But you can also see where Rude would lose his shit with the warrior not respecting what he was doing and Rude just opening up and slapping him and knocking him out like he did in the backstage area um, to that extent. And then I remember the quote always from Bruce Pritchard where after Warrior works with Rude and they finish their program, he goes on to work with Andre and he's bringing Andre a bottle of wine every night before they work. And Rude sees this and Rude, Bruce Pritchard said he heard this verbatim for Rude. He goes, that motherfucker didn't even get me a Gatorade. <laughs> After everything Rude did to try to elevate him and make him look better, he goes, that motherfucker didn't even get me a Gatorade. And he, I don't drink French wine. Get me a motherfucking Gatorade. And I could easily see Rude being that way and just, sure. you know, because Rick was a man's man and Rick had a short temper. I was thinking about Steve Austin talking about Rude and, you know, but, you know, here, here we have Rude doing a lecherous gimmick. He's shaking his hips. He's being sexual. Damn it, Steve. Must you take the Lord's name in vain? <laughs> yes. Apparently also very religious. Not that you can't be both things, but, you know. I wouldn't know about that. It's a funny contrast. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> all right. Hey, look, guys. It's a Bible devotional I'm reading. Uh, back to Bad News Brown. He takes on Jim Duggan. Uh, this ends in a double disqualification yeah. to my utter frustration. Speaking and of frustrating. Not very fun to watch. Speaking of frustrating, we have the Red Rooster, who defeats Bobby Heenan in 30 seconds, who's with the Brooklyn Brawler, who gives a shit. All right. Hulk Hogan. Randy Savage, the Mega Powers finally explode. We have finally, almost after about two hours, have finally gotten here. My favorite Randy Savage robe ever in this one. He looks yeah. amazing as champion. The, the the orange and black with the the green madness through the back of it. Like I, he looked like such a star. My oh, so cool. Is this not Hogan's best match stateside ever outside of his match in the AWA with Nick Bockwinkle? It's definitely very high on the list, and I think it, it, it's it's from a technical a standpoint. What's from a technical standpoint, other than him working with Nick Bockwinkel, who's better in terms of Hogan, like just having great matches? Hogan, the best for the wrestling snobs. I would put Hogan and Orndorff in there. They had great I, matches together. Um, Paul's a worker's worker. I'd put him in there for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Hogan and Randy obviously is there. We're talking about it right now. It was amazing. Yep. It's not great when you compare it to like great matches where there's a lot of back and forth technique and stuff, but 
Hogan getting the warrior through WrestleMania well, six, which will no, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's angle Benoit. I'm saying, yeah. look, Hogan had two kinds of matches and, you know, unfortunately because of the, the territory he worked for the company he worked for and the kinds of people he worked with the kinds of matches he had two kinds. He had this kind, but they were few and far between because they weren't putting the Nick Bockwinkles and the Randy Savages and the Paul Orndorffs of the world with Hogan. He was having to fight monsters. And so it's an apples and oranges comparison when you take Hogan Andre, Hogan Bundy, Hogan Akeem, Hogan um, Bossman, Hogan Kamala. Put them against Hogan Bachwinkle, Hogan Savage, Hogan DiBiase, Hogan Henning. Yeah. So, yeah, Hogan Henning. Um, So I I just, I I did a, um, early on when I was in college and I was taking a video editing class, I actually did a, uh, the, the assignment was to do, edit audio commentary over something visual. So my, I had my early alternative commentary. My father and I did a commentary for this match. Hogan does a drop toe hold in this. Hogan didn't do a drop toe hold his entire career in the WWE, but he did one with Randy Savage. Like they were chain wrestling at the beginning of this thing. It's, it's, it's really a sight to behold because Hogan always gets credit for discredited really for, you know, not being a worker, not being a guy who can wrestle, you know, like Jim Cornette always talks about like Hogan, Hogan's matches were not the most fun thing for a wrestling fan to watch, which I think is unfair because Hogan can, first of all, his Japan stuff is far superior than his American stuff, but it was a different style of different expectation. Yeah. He's, he's a very different guy in the AWA in Japan than he is. And even, even his first two years in the Mm -hmm. WWF as champion, like 84, 85 Hogan, it's very different than the Hogan formula Hogan, we'll call him. Right. I think that's a fair assessment of it. Like monster Hogan, you know, with, and again, you know, even Bret Hart, who's been one of Hogan's harshest critics has said that Hogan's matches had a perfect psychology and story to them, mm-hmm. the way they were structured, particularly when he worked with your monsters. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think, I think the work rate snobs, you know, the best bout machine snobs unfairly malign Hulk Hogan when, you know, it's like, if your job is to sort glass, and you sort glass well, don't you then can't get aggravated that all the person's doing is sorting glass. He did what he was he did what he was made to do in the era that it was making money when he was doing it. And you know, we're, we're not gonna get into the John Cena years on this podcast. We're actually gonna stop bef- right before then. But John Cena, another guy who can wrestle just fine. Yep. Perfectly, perfectly fine technical wrestler, learned what he needed to do and when he needed to do it, and that's all he did, and then gets maligned. That he isn't doing twenty-minute Tokyo Dome best bout machines. It's like that's not that's not even the audience for that. No. So I love this match. It's one yeah. of the best rainy top five WrestleMania main events of all time. Maybe even top three. Um, you know, it, it there, there's it gets a little stiff competition as the years go on. But this is definitely one of the but best. What is what is it we should expect out of a WrestleMania main event, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think, yeah, there's the element of it should be absolutely entertaining in the ring for what the two guys are performing at that time. But there's got to be some other elements to what make a WrestleMania main event versus a Backlash main event or even a SummerSlam main event, to be fair. Right. There's got to be a story. There's got to be something. There. There's got to be stars. There has to be stakes. There has to be this encompassing picture of this is a notch above everything else that you're going to see. And maybe more than any other WrestleMania main event, this is what really is the standard bearer for that context of having this this incredible storyline, the two biggest stars you have on opposite sides, the the involvement of Elizabeth and you know the the real build, the swirl, and then the execution by the two guys in those roles. Mm-hmm. 
the whole thing is really flawless. And yep. that's what really makes this to me. If you're going to, what's a WrestleMania main event? Hogan versus Savage, WrestleMania 5. Yep. It doesn't really get better after this either. Like, no. you know, the next couple of years start off okay, not as good as this, but they start off okay. And then it's just a downward slope. And a lot of it, and a lot of the ones we do get that really do live up to that WrestleMania main event building, a lot of it isn't necessarily the storyline itself. It's maybe more just the organic rise of somebody to a peak, like a Daniel Bryan, a Steve mm -hmm. Austin, you know, those those real fan rally rises where they get behind this particular performer and just keep pushing them up and up and up. Right. So it's undeniable that they have to be there and get this crescendo moment. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't get better until WrestleMania 17. WrestleMania 17 was sort of the culmination of a, yep. of a period where, you know, from like 95 to... 2001 where this company nearly goes out of business turned itself around and then the people who rose wwe from the ashes you know and brought it to prominence to the point where they put another i'm saying this very simplistically but this is this, this is way too much context that goes into what i'm about to say um that i know that it's not totally accurate puts another company out of business you know in that so that wrestlemania 17 stands out as not since WrestleMania five is there a more important, more celebratory WrestleMania that shows you exactly where this company is at that time. So with that said, Pat, we have covered the two years. Mega powers unite, Rick. Mega powers explode. WrestleMania. The lusterer. <laughs> the lusterer. Um, you know, how do you get his shot? He didn't come at Macho like a man. He didn't come at him face to face. You don't sweat Macho. This guy's a competitor's competitor. One of the biggest tournament wrestling history. Okay. You good? Yeah, I had to get that out. Jesse's commentary is fantastic. <laughs> it, it is. He's amazing. So that is this edition of uh, the Mania of WrestleMania 4 and 5. The next time, um, we're going to be doubling up a bunch of these going forward. Um, you know, the, they, they, the storylines run about two years, a year or so, so there's no reason to sort of single these out. So we're going to do 6 and 7, which covers the rise of the warrior, the fall of the warrior, and the, um, the subsequent... Which really, you could have done your its own show on Hogan Slaughter in just the context of that thing, but we're going to combine them. Uh, so we'll talk about the Rumble where uh, where Savage costs Warrior the title and all of that, and the build towards Hogan versus Savage. And then uh, the following month we will do WrestleMania's eight and nine, which are a goddamn mess. <laughs> and the if they only knew WrestleMania how six and seven is the end of our golden era for a lot of us. Yeah, and WrestleMania eight is just like. And nine is just ooh. well. I've already I've already done the posters for um for the next couple, and one of the ones for the, the one for WrestleMania eight and nine actually in, in a big square on the poster is Flair versus Hogan, the match that never was, because it's much more interesting to talk about that than what we actually got. Yeah, and instead, Ric Flair just ruins everything as usual. Yep, and then we'll uh, we'll do WrestleMania ten, and that'll take us into next year. All right. In the meantime, um. Pat, I'm not done with you yet, brother. No. <laughs> uh, we've got somewhere on this calendar a um, another chapter. We're going to go back to our our um, uh, what do you call it? The four uh, the four kings podcast. We uh, had to take a month off because Mark decided to have a vacation with his family, like some kind of family man or something. August twenty fifth. August twenty fifth. Uh, Chapter three, we will be talking about Sugar Ray Leonard. I'm sure you're looking, you're very much excited about that. It'll be a very, very interesting show because Ray's story is very different from what we've covered so far with 
uh, Roberto Duran and Marvin Hagler. And we're going to talk about Ray and his rise from the Olympics and a very, very uh, well-developed pro career and jumps in opposition and things he faced during that time that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. Um, and how he eventually gets to the point of where he's about to fight Roberto Duran in a pound-for-pound fight in June of 1980. But there's a lot to cover before that, and we're going to introduce you to Ray Charles, not yet Sugar Ray Leonard, and how he became Sugar Ray Leonard. All right. Uh, in the meantime, check out our uh, one of our great sponsors here, a great service they provide called Amazon Music. Um, you can stream a free 30 days of the Amazon Music uh, service by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. Amazon Music has all the things you're looking for. Um, if you've used Spotify or Apple Music in the past, it's a better service than that. They have more stuff than both of those, as a matter of fact. Uh, if you have Alexa-enabled devices, you can tell Alexa to play your favorite podcast or your favorite music. We do it all the time. It's our dinner music. We tell our Alexa to play like Weezer and stuff. Um, so go ahead and check that <laughs> out at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network to download, to stream unlimitedly from Amazon Music for free for 30 days. All right, so that's it. Um, check out, if, you, if you're if you only hearing this for the first time and you're like, what about the other three? Those are up in the archives um, this time. If, <laughs> we had video for the last one, but I used footage I wasn't supposed to, so it's gone. But <laughs> that's why there's no footage this time. Uh, but yeah, our episodes on WrestleMania 1, 2, and 3 are up in the archives, each of individual shows. So go check those out. Uh, if you're interested in the history of boxing podcasts, all of the heavyweight ones are done. And we've just started this new one with the four kings. Those are all up in the archives as well. So until next time, he's Pat. I'm Mark. Be well, be safe, and behave.